geek culture it is. Well, like, Taco Bell? Taco, Bell Taco is Bell's like, geek is definitely geek culture. Absolutely inherently ingrained in geek culture because <laughs> that's what we eat at 3 o'clock in the morning when we're stoned and yeah. watch three Star Wars movies in a row or whatever. Yeah. Inherently geek food, maybe that should be a future podcast topic. Like, what is your inherently geeky food that you eat when you geek out? And, like, I, mi- I miss a lot of that here in Korea because, like, geek food is, like, different forms of cup noodles and things like that. Like, when you yeah. think about, like, Korean game streamers. I eat cheap ramen, like, all day, every day. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah. But, yeah, I think there's probably a topic in there we could muster out somehow. We can yeah. basically turn anything into a topic and just ramble about it for an hour and that's the topic so that's it's true it's true there you it's go. A, it is a podcast kind of, after all it's kind of one of those freewheeling kind of formats that we get to do whatever we want whenever we want so yeah all right so i'm hosting today right that that was the plan i should hope so because i have not prepped to host i don't have any <laughs> news or anything like i that, have so. i have all the things don't worry so let's start because we are on episode 162 of Dance Robot Dance. Welcome, everybody. Today, we've got a, a, a listicle episode because we are short one person. Um, Tim is off chasing hobbits as Nazgul in Dragon Con. So, uh, so if you guys ever get to see those pictures, he, his costume looks pretty fucking awesome. So we will definitely get him to post those to the Facebook group because they look, yeah, they, I, they were posted today. And uh, even here, like mom and dad were like, holy shit. Shit, those look amazing. I was like, yeah, they did a really great job on those yeah. costumes. So yeah, Tim's away this week having more fun than I can actually describe on a podcast. And I'm so sad that I'm not there. Like just heartbroken, crestfallen that I'm not with him. But uh we're here to entertain you. So let's let's do try. some podcasting. Let's do yeah. some podcasting. All right, so let's get started with the news then. Okay, so first in music news, we've had, like, for Mark and I, we are both major Tool fans, and they're they're back in the days of the other podcast. We did a double fisting episode, (laughs) stink fisting episode, (laughs) (laughs) about Tool, and after 13 years, uh, Tool has finally released their latest album, Fear Inoculum which I'm super fucking so I've listened to it only twice so far because it is like mm. an hour and a half long. Yes. All the way through. I've been listening to the digital version on Apple music and it sounds amazing. Even on AirPods, like it sounds yeah. fucking spectacular. Um, so yeah, like the, the internet on the musical side has been generally favorably reviewing this album because it's very much like, it's a big, heavy return to form tool album after 13 years. The mm-hmm. entire internet, the tool part of the internet at the very least has been in complete meltdown all week as a leak happened last weekend that we will talk about on my geek of the week. Cause it's the best story that has ever been told. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to tell you the story of the chosen one. So yeah, we're going to get into that later, but yeah, the album came out yesterday. It's Saturday now. Yeah. Officially came out yesterday, leaked last week. I mean, you know, some of us got a hold of it, so yeah, I've been living <laughs> yeah. with it for a week, and it is, I'm very, very happy. Yeah, I, I haven't quite decided where it falls in my, like, tool lexicon, yeah. but it's definitely just a step below the two the two that we covered right yeah. now, and it may approach that level as I continue to kind of, like, delve through the labyrinthine passages of this 90-minute fucking 
prog rock opus or whatever you want to yeah. call it. Like, yeah, 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 so yeah. Lots of layers to dissect before you can kind of be like, oh yeah, this is actually a good record. Yeah. Anybody who's listening to it once and being like, yes, yeah, this, this sucks, has no fucking clue and no right to say anything because it's not a record you can review after sitting through one 90-minute session with it. Right. You got to kind of live with it a bit. But having only listened to it twice, I have only said that I enjoy it and I cannot actually say how much. Like, Tool albums and prog and folk and, like, just stuff like that in general, Gotta li- you do have to live with it for a while. Like, a lot of people want instant gratification from their music, and I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing. You can't get that from Tool. You can if you dive into their back catalog sometimes. Yes. Like, there are some more immediate bangers i guess like yeah like yeah. stink like fist, or or fist or sober or prison, prison sex, sex or yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. are more like the more concise like five minute early tool songs i guess those are probably i'm just talking about like more modern tool like from lateralis to the present those yeah. three records that have come out in that span don't generally have that kind of like pop five minute song yeah because all the singles have all been like i mean schism was the lead single on lateralis and that's what eight minutes long yeah vicarious is seven five or something like that on ten thousand, and like now fear inoculum that which is the lead yeah. single off fear inoculum is fucking 10 minutes and 20 seconds and they put it on radio i heard it on radio yeah so like i don't know how you how you even talk about that because it's just like oh i guess tool did a thing and like tools just tool they're just yeah. this weird random 800 pound gorilla in the music industry that every once in a while you're like Oh shit, tools don't something. Just everybody get out of the way. Yeah, I kind of picture them as like a sea monster, like slowly rising yeah. out of the water. And then it's like, we did the thing and then we come back down. Because like the other big release for this week was Lana Del Rey's Norman fucking Rockwell, which is a fucking awesome album too, yeah. in a very different way. While I'll, actually she does indulge her more proggy 70s things like on, on songs like Venice Bitch, which is... yeah. A stunning song. It's a really good album. I want to repeat what we were talking about earlier and that her management should all be fired for not only scheduling her to be released the week after a Taylor Swift record, which is was should be a dinosaur that just stomps on everything for a couple weeks anyway. Yeah. And then like having her be that next week and then that next week being announced as the tool record and not yeah. having any movement on that album whatsoever. I would have been like, we move it back a week or we move it forward a couple weeks. Yeah. Just get it out of the way of these two. I mean, maybe not super affecting of all on Del Rey listeners, whatever, but like, you're just not going to get any mainstream coverage. Yeah. Like either of those two weeks, which is sad because this album deserves to get covered. Like it's a yeah. record. So and it's her best record. And like yeah. like Lana Del Rey as an artist used to get a lot of shit back in the Saturday Night Live after that performance, which was a bomb, like fair enough. And like her first yeah. album is definitely hit or miss. But yeah. like she's grown so much from from Born to the Die to <laughs> Yeah. Well uh, Yeah. That's for, funny. That was just one of those weird things that I was like I mean, if I was Axel, I wouldn't say no either. So like, and she went after him by all accounts. So I guess at that point, yeah, Yeah. go for it. Whatever. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad both albums exist because both albums are like going to be dominating my headspace for a while. I actually haven't tried listening to the new Taylor album, but I'm going to give that a shot too. I spun it last Friday when it came out. It's it's a Taylor Swift record. It's catchy. Like it's fun. Yeah. Uh, Not not anything I'm really going to go back to, obviously, because it's just not my thing. Yeah. And now I have a tool record that I'm like, I need to basically vivisect this thing so that I can make a decision about whether I like it or not. And that requires a lot of like listening. So, yeah. 
All right. Moving away from music Jewel news. temporarily, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> there weren't a lot of, like, super big stories this no. week, in my opinion. I mean, Joker got released at the Venice Film Festival, and it's getting really good reviews. Well, particularly Joaquin Phoenix's performance as the Joker is getting really yeah. good reviews. I don't see this being his Oscar-winning thing, because I don't think they're going to give the statue to the Joker twice, especially... But maybe they will. I don't know. But like, um... I'm, I'm like, I am at this point, that trailer impressed me to the point where I will now not say anything until I get a chance to see the movie. Yeah. Because I still don't feel like I need that movie. But yeah. the trailers that they put in front of us so far, with the exception of the fact that there seems to be a shoehorned romance that I wasn't expecting in there was Zazie Beetz's character that I was like, no, nah, I don't think we need that. But okay. Whatever you're gonna do, you're just gonna do it. So, I, I don't know. I I don't know. Um, but it looks like it looks like an interesting movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it looks like a like it could be a good movie. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be the Joker or anything like that. But mm-hmm. this is the world we're living in. Warner Brothers has no fucking idea what they're doing with these movies. So if we get a decent movie and it's called Joker and it kind of comes out of DC's mind space, then I guess it's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, that's so, fair. Whatever. Let's see, what else do we have here? So one of the things that we missed out of D23 last week that I'm pretty excited about because I only recently started reading this comic was that Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is actually getting an animated yes. uh, cartoon on the Disney Channel, which means that this is going to be something that I can show to my kids, maybe if I'm still in Korea, on Netflix while I'm waiting for my after school to start. Like Sometimes we throw... TV up while the kids are getting ready to start class because like it's our break time so we just want them to leave us alone for a while so if you have a screen on they'll just stare at it and just shut up and not like fight with each other or whatever and lately my kids have really been into Teen Titans Go yeah and so having another of that style Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun because I love the animation style already like just the the title card that they had shown looks yeah, real cool. Really good. Yeah. 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 And it's a fun book. Every I feel like people should read it more because it's just very entertaining. Huh? That yeah. book's doing fairly well, is it not? Like I, I it's, think I've so. been hearing a lot about it online like people like it, so I it sounds like it's got some critical kind of clout behind it right now. Yeah. In other comic book news, Mike Mignola and Adam Hughes are getting back together for a new Hellboy story, which I figured would excite Mark very much. Hey, I'm all in. I love Adam Hughes's art. Guy's great and Mignola Mignola's Mignola, you know, like he's fucking legend here. Like he's so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. So I always say I'll take a new Mike Mignola written Hellboy story because they're, they're kind of few and far between these days uh, compared to what we used to get, which is like monthly Mike Mignola Hellboy. And uh, I miss that basically. So mm-hmm. more of that, please. Yeah, definitely. I've grabbed like trades of Hellboy here and there, and I always enjoy. I have the big library editions. When you get back into Canada, you'll be able to sit down with the big library editions. Like I got the first six of them, I think. It's basically everything with up till he split from BRPD yeah. and took off and died and stuff. So I haven't quite gotten to reading it yet, but I am. I always collect them because I love Hellboy. So yeah, that's one of those books. I will support Mike Mignola till he's dead and gone because I love those books. Like he's like one of my favorite artists of all time. Like that inky black style is very influential on me and also just i love those i love hellboy story stuff you know what i mean like yeah. just weird cthulhu demons and like nostradamus is back and or whatever like yeah. all that kind of stuff or rasputin i'm like this is great this is exactly right up my alley and then he's a snarky demon who kills things yeah as long as mike mcnola still has good ideas for it like yeah. i don't hellboy kind of reminds me of doctor who 
in that like as long yeah. as there's like a some supernatural thing that and there's a decent theme that they riff off of i'm yeah. fine with it and more hellboy is good generally speaking yep. so yeah there's that i will agree yeah in bad sad video game me too news yet another person in the industry has been accused of sexual misconduct um the skyrim composer jeremy sewell has been accused by two women of the sexual assault might as well just throw it on the fucking pile and like again believe believe victims please yeah at least the comments section of kotaku and maybe because kotaku is probably a little bit more left-leaning is a little bit less reactionary and more like oh my god another one rather than like there's no proof it's just an accusation kind of shit but so like maybe the public's opinion is swaying towards believing victims but this guy is very well liked among video game fans because of like the just the games that he's worked on. So yeah. like it's because there's a lot like Guild Wars, Skyrim. Was this the dude from Oculus? No, oh, this is a different guy. The oh, Oculus guy, from Oculus guy. Yeah, I was like, I, I heard about the Oculus guy. I didn't hear about this guy, so I'm confused. Yeah. That's the two. only video game news I saw this week was that Control came out, and I was super curious to play that, but I want to wait till I have a ray tracing video card to do it, because apparently it's like it uses the RTX technology to mm-hmm. its fullest capability so far, and I'm, I'm super curious about that tech, but I didn't, I don't yeah. <laughs> think these things, I'm just like, I almost, I almost feel like the saturation of these stories, like, I'm at the point where I'm glossing over stuff, because I'm just, just like, every week, it's another scumbag dude, and I'm like, all right, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I make a point to read these things because it's like it's good to know well it's important to know yeah yeah that this is still an endemic problem in this industry and like just because we have to remember that geeks are not geeks can be just as misogynistic as non-geeks they just have a geeky form of misogyny yeah so, and this, I don't know, this is just fucking gross. Anyway, um, Skyrim compo- composer, fuck you forever. Jeremy Soul. There yeah. he is. That's his name. There yeah. he is. So fuck him. There yeah. You go. Let's see. There was another trailer for Terminator Dark Fate. Linda Hamilton kicking all the ass. Yeah. I'm, this, I, I don't want to have hope for a good Terminator movie. I don't. I don't, but I'm going to watch it because I watch all of them. Yeah, so I can't say that I have like I missed the Amelia Clark one. Which one was that? Uh, Genesis. Genesis. Yeah, the weirdly spelled Genesis. That weird. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I just did you see Salvation, the Christian Bale one? No, I only ever heard Christian Bale's fucking insane rant on set. Yeah, so. that's the only thing. Part of that movie is that yeah. Yeah, that I heard. So that's it. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. Let's see. And yeah, but it does look it does look entertaining and Linda Hamilton looks pretty badass. I'm just happy Linda Hamilton is back. Like Arnie coming back, I'm like, whatever. He just keeps coming back, I guess. Yeah. You know? I mean he, that's that's his line, right? Like I'll be back. So he just he's always back. That's yeah. fine. I was surprised with the Edward Furlong announcement a couple weeks ago, which we talked about. Yeah. But they keep putting trailers out for this movie. When does it come out? Is it coming out this summer or like I mean in the fall? Good or is question. It, it must be on the Oh, November first. So in two months. Okay. Pretty soon. Well, I'll, uh, well, I'll see what the reviews are like. I'm not going to run out. I'm not going to say I'm going to run out and see it because yeah. probably not. But yeah. if it reviews well, then I might go. Like, I get bored real easy and I just like going to the movies. So, yeah. 
I might go sit through it. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, what else? Oh, in like nostalgic geek news, the new Dark Crystal movie has come out on Netflix and is getting really positive reviews. I'll never watch it. Those puppies creep me out still. So I, can't, I can't do it. Yeah. If your 80s nostalgia is Dark Crystal, then maybe it's time to check it out because people have been responding very positively to this. Yeah. When it comes to those 80s fantasy movies that were out, like I'm more of a Willow Labyrinth person than a Dark Crystal legend. What else is there? Never Ending Story was kind of in, in yeah, between for me. Those are all movies that like I've seen yeah. and I appreciate their place in the world, but they are not for me. Yeah. So I just kind of ignore them. Like I'm not a big, as we have like just repeated ad nauseum for 162 episodes, high fantasy, not Mark's bag, unless it involves a Sumerian who is cleaving motherfuckers in half. Mm-hmm. So fair. usually not super keen on like the real dragon sword and sorcery like that kind of style of stuff. So I tend to lean away from that a lot. And those dark crystal puppets always terrified me as a kid. (laughs) Yeah. So I will not watch this because I smoke a lot of weed and I don't know how that's going to trigger me. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? If I'm sitting there watching it, I'm all for some of this stuff coming back though. Like, I think it's cool because it it means that like, it's not just us getting served. Like it's not just like, we know masters of the universe is coming back and that's going to be tailored for us because Kevin Smith's writing it. We know war for Cybertron's coming out and we know that should be in theory tailored for us because they're, they keep talking about how it's like a reboot of G1 for a Netflix audience. I'm like, well, that sounds like me, you know, like that sounds like it's for me. So I'm cool if all these other ones are going to get kind of dragged back out and have a new coat of paint put on them for the people that are not me that love those properties the way I love Transformers and He-Man or whatever. So cool. As long as they are labors of love. I mean, like when it's done respectfully, I'm all there. Yeah. Cause I feel like we're kind of getting pulled in two directions uh, in this regard, because I was just having a conversation. My friend downloaded uh, an illicit copy of Aladdin, the uh, live action remake of it. And she was so upset with how bland and cheap and awkward it was. And I was like, I agree. And a continuation of a story made with love, like the Dark Crystal or Shira, which I fucking loved, yeah. for instance, and like a shitty remake that is made just to as an obvious cash cow is yeah, yeah is not good filmmaking. And maybe we should put nip this trend in the bud before it gets out of control. But no, because Lion King made so much money. So what are you gonna do? Like our niece and nephew were taken to see it this weekend, and I was talking to. I don't know how to describe Allison without calling her up by name. We'll just say Allison. So yeah. her cousin's wife, because she took the kids to see it. And I was like, oh, how was it? Because I'm pretty sure Paul and Tim have been talking about these movies and like kind of hating all of them. And she was like front in front of the kids because the kids were like, it was so great. I loved it so much. And she was like, yeah, it was fun. And then she backed, she literally took a step back from them and mouthed no at me. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, all right, that, that tracks. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to watch these movies. So like, I don't care. I was just curious what like an adult thought about them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I know yeah. I've heard what you guys think about them, but I was curious about like, Allison is obviously in our age bracket who not a geek at all, or like she probably got her own geeky thing that she would deny, but yeah, that's Allison. Yeah. But like, yeah, she loves these Disney movies because she grew up on them too, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like, she was shaking her head at me, and I was like, oh, that that like that bad? She's like, yeah, it was, it was just it, it just felt like exactly the same thing. 
but like a photocopy of it. And I'm like, fair. Okay. Like when I saw the trailer for Lion King, I, I just noticed how devoid of color it is. And every time I, yeah. I play the, I just can't wait to be King video for my kids. It's like, just, it's all color. It's just like a yeah, flurry color, yeah. of color. That's animation though. Yeah. Like you just can't, you can't do that realistic style of CGI and then expect it to be as bright and vibrant as a 2d hand animated yeah 90s disney movie when they still knew how to like fill a frame with entertainment and fun in the actual art not just yeah whatever garbage they're scripting and putting in front of us it's funny because the marvel movies now have become these bright colorful things that are awesomely fun to watch yeah but like the live action disney movies just seem like blue screen garbage in front of like on a five dollar set yeah and i'm like why the marvel guys are spending millions of dollars making captain america look like an actual human being why aren't you doing the same thing over uh, whatever you do you yeah i feel like it's the same kind of shit like they're pumping out low quality shit for the kids because they'll swallow it more mm-hmm. easily and parents Probably, will take them yeah. to see it because it's something that they recognize oh it's yeah. the lion king i know that the lion king was financially successful but i'm hoping that it has kind of like uh batman versus superman effect where these things start to drop off more quickly because they're just not made very well like that fucking yeah. trailer for the live action lady in the tramp jesus christ like why that's the streaming one right like that's just going straight to disney plus right right because i don't think that they have enough confidence to put it out in theaters like yeah. well that's a serious like c-level animated movie yeah too. like that's not like an a-list back catalog piece for them right that was tramp, right? that was pre-disney renaissance like that was in yeah. the time when disney was struggling financially yeah. I think in the Disney company, they do have a tier list of like, which they find to be the, the bigger classics than others, especially yeah. because when they first released Pinocchio on VHS, they only picked that one because it was less well-regarded among the classics, like the original classics, but then it sold out like crazy in its first printing. So then they're like, oh, okay, money. So they started doing it. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. I don't know. She still asked me to get all those movies for the kids anyway. Like, yeah. For the kids. Pick, I'm picking up the movies. Then she was like, yeah, I get those for the kids. And I was like, all right. Yeah. All right. So now it is time for our geek of the week. Geek of the week. I have to do both parts because Tim's not here. Yeah, you do. Lonely stings are the best. So this is the segment of the show where we talk about the geekiest thing we did this week. And since there's only two of us, I'm making Mark start all the time. So go, Mark. Tell us the geekiest thing. I have to tell the story of the chosen one. Tell us the story. I'm going to tell you the story about my Redditing last weekend, which (laughs) sounds super boring, but like is actually the most ridiculous story I've ever heard in my life. So I'm going to share it. So gather around, you children. Yes, gather around, ye children, I will tell you a tale of Circle of Nine, the chosen one, the one who delivered the message. I'm quoting Tooler for a reason. <laughs> um, so last Saturday, I was finally sitting down to watch a 4K HDR copy of John Wick 3. So my second time watching John Wick 3, and it was exquisite. Like, it's just, mwah, mwah, John Wick 3, so good. Then I was just going to watch it. I kind of taken the day off. My hand was falling apart from the miles I've been putting on it. I guess jerking off and working. But, you know, whatever. You pick your poison on how my hand is sore. That's why it is. You pick mm-hmm. it. That's for you to decide. But I was casually perusing Reddit, as I want to do while I'm kind of watching a movie or watching the credits of a movie. And the tool Reddit had been getting blasted all day by people in warehouses posting pictures of Fear Inoculum having come in, the physical copy of it. And everybody was like, we were all just like, this is going to leak like today. But everybody kept posting back, like, no, we'll lose our jobs if we do that. And we're like, nobody cares. Just leak the record. You know what I mean? Like, we, it's, we've we been waiting 13 years. Just give us the goddamn music. Either way, 
finally some kid on Reddit named Circle of Nine came on and was like, I've got it and I'm going to fucking leak it for you guys. And we're like, great. So we go and we're just watching this thing happen. And he gets the thing out of his warehouse, goes home, goes to rip it. No CD drive in his rig. CD drive in his laptop doesn't work. Doesn't know how to rip it now. Goes on Reddit, asks, how do I rip this? Is somebody in Vegas that can help me? In the most bizarre turn of events I've ever seen in my life, some random Redditor just happened to be at the Mirage on business and was like, come to the Mirage. I've got the gear here. I will rip it and get it out to the world. Well, Circle of Nine was the chosen one and it decided that he wanted to be the chosen one. So he got in his car and he drove to downtown Las Vegas to the Strip, to the Mirage, met this random Redditor and then disappeared. So for like an hour, we're like, oh crap, are we not getting this? Like, did all, was all this bullshit? Did he troll us? Because if he did, awesome, good for him. Like, this is the best troll ever. We were all super hyped. This is amazing. And he eventually posts again. I don't know what's happening. The guy's got the files. I don't know. And at this point, I was messaging Paul being like, I was telling Paul the story, right? Like on Messenger. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but it sounds like it might leak. I don't know, but I'm just going to go to bed now. And just as I was getting prepped to go to bed, my email goes off. Has it leaked? Tool Fear Inoculum. And I was like, the son of a fucking bitch he did, did it. it. He did it. He delivered the message. He was Rosetta Stone for the night. He got us the tool <laughs> record. So, like, it's just the craziest thing, like the goofiest story. And I was sitting there on Reddit the whole night painting in Photoshop, just kind of checking updates every once in a while and being like, I'm going to stay up all night to see how this turns out just because I'm so entertained by this. <laughs> like, it's just such a ridiculous. Like the old safe Reddit story, like the Reddit safe oh, the Reddit story where like story, the guy was going to yeah. open the safe. Yeah. But this one paid off because at the end of the night, it was three o'clock in the morning, the record leaked and we got to listen to Tool. So <laughs> amazing. The fucker did it. So like, this is the gospel of Circle of Nine. He is the chosen one. He got us a Tool record a week early. So that's my geek of the week because it was just like, I don't know what else I could possibly do that is nerdier than sitting here on Reddit till 3 a.m. waiting for a tool record to maybe leak. You know what I mean? And watching this this putz have the adventure of a lifetime trying to get a CD ripped in 2019 because CD drives just don't exist commonly yeah. anymore. It's the funniest shit I've ever seen. So there Praise you go. be to him. That's my Praise be to Circle Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was an awesome night getting to sit down and like listen to that. After all that, Like actually getting the record at the end was like, oh, this is perfect, man. Because it's like, yes, it's 3 a.m. And yes, I'm going to stay up for an 80 minutes and listen to this whole thing before I go to sleep. But how much better of a way for that to end? than all of us having got the record. It was like Christmas, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was Santa for us for that night. He, It was Toolmas, and we got yeah. Tool. And awesome. it was awesome. So there you go. That sounds, yeah, that's awesome. It's just ridiculous, right? Like, just like one of those random stories you only find yeah. on Reddit. So there you go. What was your Geek of the Week? Well, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned that you were messaging me, because while you were messaging me, my Geek of the Week was happening again. So this month in Pokemon Go, they've finally released Shiny Rayquaza, who is a high-powered legendary dragon that when you beat a five-star raid, which are the most difficult group raids to do in the game, you have a chance at catching a Shiny Rayquaza. Rayquaza. Uh-huh. I still don't have mine, and today is the last fucking day. I have been hunting this motherfucker every single day since he got released at the beginning of the month. Apparently, the RNG on this is really shitty, and like it's a pretty low spawn rate. So it's like usually the the legendaries are pretty difficult 
to get, but not as difficult as, say, like, a standard full odds shiny from, like, just general catching out in the wild. So the fact that I have pumped so much fucking time and energy into this goddamn pocket monster is driving me goddamn crazy. So I am going out for a three-hour raid at four o'clock in the afternoon today for my last chance to get this motherfucker. And I am so mad. So while you were messaging me, I was sitting, there's a man-made lake near the tallest tower here in Korea called Sukchon Lake. And I'm sitting there at the Pokemon gym, just like, I'm I'm never going to get this motherfucker. And you're telling me about the Tool album. And I'm just like, this is good news, but when am I going to get my shiny Rayquaza? I was... You must have been very upset when I finally messaged you and was like, it happened. We have been delivered upon because you didn't get your thing and I got my thing. (laughs) But I mean, by me getting my thing, you kind of got your thing too because you did get I did get a tool record, which is like definitely not cold comfort. It is nice. Well, it is like the tool album is pretty like cold sometimes, but like in a good way and like in a way that warms my heart. (laughs) In the best cold tool way is it's a cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. I know. As soon as I started playing that record, I'm just going to talk about it again. But like as soon as I started playing it, like I could feel the relief. I was like, oh man, I made it 13 years. Like we're here. Like we finally got here. God, and it's good and i have and it doesn't su- and i have new tools it doesn't suck and it doesn't suck like it's so yeah. good like so yeah. good i didn't want to get into it like crazy because paul hasn't like really made that like the leap into like it clicking yeah, yet so. not fully but I'm, it's getting there it's it's into click mode with me and i'm starting to like pick favorites and stuff yeah. and like really kind of get into it so i'm like yeah this is a good fucking record like this is a solid those other two are t- like tens like Anima and Lateralis are both 10 star records, right? Like just mm-hmm. flawless album. This is a 9.5. It might end up being a 10 when I'm done really sifting yeah. through it. So like I'm, I'm there for this new tool record. So yeah, but that's cool. That, uh, did you, so you haven't gotten this Pokemon yet. Like you're I'm going out again. Like so that. right. And so they have these things now called legendary dinner hours where all of the possible Pokemon gyms spawn the five star legendary rate. So you can go out in a group and just start attacking as many, Rayquaza or whatever the legendary happens to be as you can. The motherfuckers took away our Wednesday one because they released a group of Pokemon that had been released previously. They got another chance because it was a special event and nobody fucking wanted them. Everyone wanted another Rayquaza hour and we didn't get it. So they were like, oh, people are mad. Maybe we should probably do another one. So this is our last chance at six o'clock this evening. So I'm starting at four and doing like normal raids through Myeongdong, which is like the a major shopping district here in Seoul. And then at, from six to seven, we're going hard and doing as many raids as we can. So if I don't get it today, I will be salty and butthurt, but you know, I'll live. I'll never be surprised by you salty and butthurt. <laughs> I mean, I have now lived with you for a couple months post game of Thrones season eight. Yeah. So uh-huh. you have been extravagantly salty and butthurt since the yeah. end of that. Yeah. And We'll, we'll talk about that and more. Yeah, we will talk about yeah. that again because I don't want to edit it out. Also, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, since that is done, let's move on to our next segment, which is our meat of the episode. Favorite gaming meat. I don't know, doing Tim's thing, but like I didn't think of something, so that's that's what you get, guys. That that'll yeah. work. That's that's all you get. It's like I'm not. Helping. Yeah, I'm not helping. I'm just not gonna help. No. That's not my style. Don't help. So as we tend to do, like, because the three of us inhabit different 
like media of the geek spectrum. Like when Tim and Mark are by themselves, they tend to lean into the comic book side of things, especially DC. Since Mark and I are just the two of us, I thought we would do a video game episode because we're the bigger gamers of the three. And I have not done my favorite video games of all time. This was something that was done a long time ago. So I didn't even look, and I should look. Hold on. I, I, I probably were, I was going to write it in my notes, but I forgot to look. I was going to actually try and figure out when the last time, like when we did favorite video games of all time. And I'm convinced it's like 500 years yeah. ago. And it's probably back when I was titling these stupid episodes in a way that does not actually quickly edify me as to what the episode is about. Because I used to try and do clever fucking things all the time. Yeah. And that was a yeah, terrible dang. idea. Because now I can't find anything. Yeah, I know. I was an idiot. Okay, number 16. Yep. It was a long time ago. So, yeah, there was like six people on that episode, which is a terrible idea. So we'll be uh, doing a top five each. We'll be revisiting Mark's list, which has maybe changed since then. It's been a while. Slightly, yes. And I will be giving my top five. And then we'll also do some honorable mentions because, like, because of when we started gaming, we probably pick our games from a particular era more fervently than others i was more careful about that than i like i mean i looked at my old list and was like yeah there's some changes some of it's the same you're gonna hear the same story but i mean that was 150 episodes ago just under 150 episodes ago so it bears repeating plus yes we have been threatening to do this with paul for since paul first started coming on the podcast like at episode probably 50 60 70 somewhere in that range was probably the first time we had you in here and you were like yeah i want to do favorite video games we're like yeah we'll get to it eventually we leaned into your albums real fast. Yeah, I had to catch up. Well, that was something you and I could do on the side. Yeah. So where it's just you and I doing it. So, yeah. So I, I just wanted to make sure right at the top that, again, and it's a listicle episode, which means the person who organized the listicle episode needs to be told that I fucking hate them for making me pick all this <laughs> stuff. Uh, so, as is the way, even when I make them, make the decree that we're going to do one of these episodes, I, at the halfway through making the list, I'm always like, I fucking mm-hmm. hate myself for making us do this. I mean, yeah, I got about halfway through this and was like, I fucking hate Paul for making me do this. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard enough. It was hard enough three years ago. And now it's still, it's even harder now. Cause like. I played a ton of stuff yeah. since then. So, well, yeah. it's always good to revisit these things and to like see where your priorities lie in terms of gaming and things like that. Okay. So, let's start with you, Mark. What is your number five video game of all time currently? Again, this is a currently thing. You're allowed to change your yeah. mind about your taste, guys. Your number one album of all yeah, time can change. It's ha- it's okay. It's okay. No, who told you that? That's not right. <laughs> That's not right. Okay, so number five is Super Mario World. So I had to pick a Mario game. And I love Mario games, and I've played them all. And if like if it's a platforming Mario, whether it be 2D or 3D, I'm probably there for it. Like the tennis games and shit. Like I don't Mario, even Mario Kart. I'm like it's fine, but like it's secondary, superfluous mm. to the main run and jump Mario games. Like that's that's home to me because that's how we grew up was like 8-bit Nintendo, right? So Mario games are just part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. And Super Mario World is just I think the best 2D one they ever made. It's still my favorite overall Mario game. I debated for a long time about either Odyssey or one of the galaxies, because as 3D Marios go, those are just spectacular games, all three of them. Like, if you're a 3D Mario fan and you haven't played Galaxy 1 or 2 or Odyssey, you're fucking up your life, because those games are like Mario They are amazing. Yeah, if I'm picking a 2D Mario, and that's kind of where, like, my nostalgia heart is, is that that SNES one is Super Mario World. It was re- It's a launch game. It was released with the SNES. It came as a pack-in with the system that I bought by lo- mowing mm-hmm. lawns when I was 10 or 11. 
Paul and I both played it 500 times because yeah. it was the best game we owned for like a year until we got Street Fighter 2, <laughs> which is also on the it's on my list somewhere. Yeah. So, or it's in my honorable mentions yeah. at least. But yeah, I just I love Super Mario World. It is like the the epitome of Mario games to me, and they've never. They've done stuff that is as good as it in certain ways. And like some, I know a lot of people argue it's the, the big argument is always Mario 3 or Super yeah. Mario World, like Mario 3 or Mario 4. I always lean into the Super Nintendo one, but like I will, ne- I will never say no to Mario 3. It's basically my second favorite yeah. Mario game. Like it's those two are right at the top. I just go for the longer, more explorable levels in World compared to the shorter, slightly more difficult kind of like gauntlets of 3. And that's just my personal mm-hmm. preference. But like my favorite Mario songs are all in Super Mario World. Like all my favorite Mario music's from that mm-hmm. game. The inclusion of Yoshi at that point was just so yeah. cool. Like I just remember like bouncing on that fucking dinosaur and just being like, "This is holy shit. We are in the next generation." You know what I mean? Like at 16 bits, I was like, "This is. Can it get better than this? I can jump on a dinosaur and make it eat yeah. shit. Like what more do you want?" And honestly, the Mario <laughs> formula did evolve to an extent, but it didn't really get much different or better than that uh, like a lot of people nope. like i really don't get me wrong i really love uh new super mario brothers U. I play all those games they're i love them like i love really them to death good. when they come out i buy them as soon as yeah. they come out but they're never this good like they're never this cohesive yeah. and good the only other game that comes close to this one uh for me is super mario world 2 like yoshi's island is just a fucking masterpiece yeah. But it's not like a legit Mario game, so I felt like I had to put a real Mario game in my top yeah. five. And Yoshi's Island goes in honorable mentions because, wow, Yoshi's Island is also just one of those games that I can I can sit down and play like ten levels of and not even think twice about yeah, it. Yeah, so. absolutely. Like one of the my, honestly one of my favorite things about Super Mario Brothers, the Super Mario World, is the overworld map. Like, there's something about that mm-hmm. overworld map that is so satisfying when you're filling it out. Like, this might be the RPG mm-hmm. person. Me, like, don't get me wrong. Every single course, like, is beautifully designed. But mm-hmm. the way that you unlock levels and it actually changes the landscape. Um, like, like islands float in and out and, like, the mountains get broken down and caves open up and things like that. Once you, like, really, yeah. like, it feels like you're breaking open the world when you're playing that game yeah. and there's something so satisfying about that especially when like you finally find that fucking secret where you go under the the goal post or something like that oh uh, yeah yeah the, the one on the bridge. bridge it's just like in, like the last the last star uh yeah. warp thing or whatever yeah which is just like it's so hard to get to unless you're like you save a Yoshi well past all these floating saws, or you are really good. Yeah, with you're the cape. really good with the cape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember as a kid, I was good enough with the cape and the Yoshi technique to do both. But like, I tried last time I played through it, I tried the cape technique, and I'm like, I'm not fast enough, or there's enough Bluetooth lag on my controller that it just wasn't picking up as fast as the SNES like wired controllers did, or something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I couldn't do it yeah. anymore, and I was like, that's annoying. So I had to go find a Yoshi and come back and do it again. Yeah. But. Yeah, I don't. I know this game like the back of my hand. Like I know all the secrets. I know how to get to everywhere. Like in fifteen minutes, I can probably clear this game out in like three hours if I really sat down and just played. I could like all ninety six goals. Like I could clear it out in like a couple hours. And probably. it's still fun to play. Yeah, and that's the best part. Like every time I sit down and play it, I'm like, God, this is still like one of the best games ever. Like it just feels fucking awesome to control Mario in Super Mario World. Like regular Mario, Super Mario, Kate Mario, even the Fireball Mario is fun. The Yoshi Mart, like being on Yoshi, everything feels yeah. great. Like it's just a, such a well-made game. Yeah. yeah. I could go on all night about Super yeah. Mario World. And we could, but we are going to move on to my number five, which is Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, a recent release. Yeah, that is a very recent release. I'm actually, I'm kind of surprised you're going with something yeah. so recent. Can you say you've only played through it like once? Well, right? 
No, played through it twice because I did the new game plus. Okay. So I love Metroidvania games. Everybody knows this. Yeah, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be talking a lot about those kind of games tonight because I've realized that the game loop of a Metroidvania game is basically my yeah. crack, and therefore all my favorite games have that game loop yeah. in them because. I am a crack addict for that yeah, game. Loop, yeah. So. so the reason that I chose Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is that I feel like it is, in spite of the fact that it's lacking the Castlevania name on it, it is a distillation yeah. of all the uh, directed Castlevania games. Yeah. It acts as both a tribute to the greatness of the Igarashi Castlevania games, while also being a fuck you to Konami for being a total trash, shitty. totally shitty and, towards all their yeah, franchises, no, particularly Castlevania. Yeah. Especially when, like, Iga just was like, hey, can I make another Castlevania? And they're like, no, we don't care. And I'm like, he wants to do another one. Just give him, like, $10 million of your bullshit pachinko money and let him make a fucking 2D Castlevania game for the PlayStation yeah. Store and just let us have this, you asshole. But, but no. He ended up doing basically that, but he just couldn't had to f- take all the serial numbers file yeah. off of it, right? Like had to file all the serial numbers yeah. off of it and call it yeah. bloodstained. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm just surprised because yeah. it's so new. I found the combat to be incredibly satisfying. It combined the weapon goodness of Symphony of the Night with the soul collection of the Aria and Dawn of Sorrow games that I really enjoyed. It had a more fighting uniqueness, kind of like Order of Ecclesia. The storyline actually stood up pretty well in its own right like it was pretty stereotypical that last minute twist i don't know and i'm not gonna yeah. talk about it because the spoiler was yeah. kind of like oh okay i didn't really need a twist but this is fine and overall like it's a stylish game it feels just like any good castlevania game you'd want from the ega yeah. era and uh, yeah, and it even has some like super memeable shit. Like one of the best things about Symphony of the Night is what is a man, which <laughs> still makes me giggle every time I think. The fucking voice acting on Symphony of the Night's classic. We're going to talk about that later because we are going to talk about Symphony of the Night again. Uh, but so. my favorite moment is when the twist happens and. At the item shop, the characters who start selling you items switch from one character to another. And the new character is this fucking, like, Wastrel Oliver Twist fucking British orphan girl who's all like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I buy anything from you, governor? And it's just the worst fucking accent I have ever heard in my entire life. And I go to her, like, just if I'm passing through to go do some, like, alchemy or whatever, I will go and hop over to yeah. her. Just to listen to her stupid shitty voice every single time and it makes me laugh i love it but like that being said all of the game elements from like weapon customization to like enhancing the souls to the collection to the monster design everything works for me i really really like it it's really stylish it even has like boss battles that harken back battles from symphony of the night like there's the battle with the vampire woman with the umbrella that is almost like pound for pound the same as the succubus battle like in the way that it's framed mm-hmm. i really really like that so check out bloodstained if you have the chance and like give it's been on sale recently on both the i think it's been on sale on steam but i don't can't confirm or deny that um, but it has been recently on sale on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network, so it is into like the it's now into the thirty dollar, forty dollar range where it's like, I mean, not that it was expensive; I think it was fifty five bucks 
new on the store, yeah. but I guess it's been in the $40 range recently and we are getting into Christmas, like, like holiday season sales that are going to start kicking up. That game is going to be 20 bucks, like the, in the next yeah. couple months. So when you see it cheap, get it. It's yeah. fun. I had a good time. Like I, I, again, like I enjoyed Bloodstain. I'm just surprised he brought it up this early after only two playthroughs. Cause Paul's usually way more stubborn about making these kinds of lists and including something that came out in the yeah, same year. The so. rest of my list will attest to that actually. So there you yeah. go. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Okay. Let's move on to our number four. Mark, what is your number four top video game of all time currently? Well, I, this is one of those tricky ones where like, I want to say Arkham Knight because it's more modern and I did, I liked Arkham Knight quite a bit, but like there's an argument to be made that Arkham City is probably the better of the three Rocksteady Batman games. So I'm going to say Arkham Knight because fuck the haters. I liked the Batmobile stuff. I didn't mind the tank. Like it's dumb, but like I didn't mind any of those sequences. Some of them were super frustrating, I will admit. But that game is still like the best looking game for PlayStation. Like it's one of the best looking games for this modern console generation. And it came out two months or like a year or two into the the mm-hmm. life cycle. And it is like the perfect distillation of these Arkham games. It's just like the most fun. I mean, really at this point, it's basically Again, we can say it's like it's a Metroidvania style game in full 3D. You're given complete access to a big chunk of Gotham as Batman and with a car, and you just get to kind of get set loose and deal with this story. And it's as a Batman fan, being handed a video game that plays to the play loop that you like and then also functions as like the greatest Batman simulator of all time. How can this not be in my top five? Like, it's just. I keep doing the chef kiss thing lately because I'm whatever, but oh man, I love the Arkham Knight. Like I love all the Arkham games, but Arkham Knight will be the one that I'll pick now. I think I said Arkham City last time, but this time I'm like, I I have fonder memories of my time with Knight than I do with my time with City. And maybe I need to replay them to really make a decision. But in my head right now, Arkham Knight was just like, it took all this cool stuff that I loved about City and enhanced it and then put it in a pretty current gen wrapper. And it also gave me the Batmobile, which some people hate, but I'm not one of them. Yeah. So, yeah. Arkham As Knight. someone who like has played the beginning of Arkham Asylum, I'm yeah. still like not completely sold on this franchise of Batman. I know they they look fun, and I'm just not sold on the combat system yet. Maybe I like my combat system to be a little bit more flashy or like bad guy centric. I like fighting weird looking monsters like well i'm thinking like even in this style of 3d beat em up like bayonetta all of the mobs are yeah. so distinct from each other and have a particular way yeah. of beating them whereas there's less variation in the way that the mobs look in batman games yeah i don't think that it's not as focused on the combat like you i mean it is and it isn't because like you are just dealing with the mooks all the time but you're engaging them in different ways and you can disengage big groups of mooks and kind of turn it into a predator situation in the right environment sometimes you can't sometimes you just thrust into like a big open space where like there's 40 guys and you just got to fuck them all up and that can be frustrating especially early on i think the problem that you're having is you haven't let yourself because like these games it's a metroidvania game so your skills develop as you go along and at first, you're basically restricted to like punch, kick, maybe batarang, and it's not the most exciting yeah. gameplay loop. But as the combat gets more complicated and they add the more different style of mobs, you really have to kind of strategize and think about like, okay, that guy's got a shield, which means I've really got to take him out quickly, otherwise he's gonna ruin my shit. And then two guys are picking guns up, so I got to get out there and also take care of those two guys. So it's like, what do I do? 
all right, I'm going to batarang those two guys over there, take out shield guy. There's a thug, big thug coming in, which means I have to plan for him. So I'm going to tase him, but you're trying to do all this at the same time while still blocking 78 guys coming at Mm -hmm. you with bats. I had a lot of fun with that kind of stuff because that's Batman, right? Like that's how this works. You're a Batman. There's 40 dudes in front of you. You're not going to turn around and be like, oh, I'm not going to fight 40 dudes. You're going to be like, 40 dudes? You guys want to call for backup? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm Batman. So, yeah, I I love those. I like I love that part of the games. Yeah. Do I prefer the Predator stuff? Yes, because terrifying dudes as Batman is why these games exist for me. <laughs> like, that's what I talk about when I'm, like, get excited about these games is the Predator stuff. Because I love it. And, like, to describe it to our listeners, like, you get put in a situation where the guards are maybe kind of aware that you're coming are on the lookout for you, but they don't know exactly where you are. And you start picking them off one at a time, exactly the way you would think Batman would in that kind of situation. But it's great because the villains that you're attacking will become increasingly paranoid and fire off random shots at stuff because they think they heard something. And you can cause them to freak out by just tossing batarangs in the opposite direction from where you are and freaking them out. Like their paranoia levels will go up. And then by the time like you grab them, they're just like screaming for mercy because mm-hmm. they're like, dear God, what is coming after me? He's taken out seven other men. Like, ah, ah, ah. it's that's very satisfying <laughs> as a Batman fan. Yeah. So yeah, totally worth it. All right. My number four is uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Interesting. Really, Link's Awakening out of all of the Zelda games, you pick the Game Boy one? Now, this might be a nostalgia thing, but I thought really long and hard about which Legend of Zelda I was going to pick. Because there's Breath of the Wild, there's Majora's Mask, there's Link Between Worlds. Yeah, Link to the Past, exactly. And so I was racking my brain about which one I felt more at home in and which one I spent the most time with. And there's something about Link's Awakening. While I was playing that game when I was a kid, I got stuck in that game so many times. I remember. This was in the days before Game Facts and stuff like that. And to be fair, and I don't, I don't want to like disparage you, but you were really young when that game came out. Yeah. I remember I had to help you with that game a lot. Because yeah. like it's just like I was three years older than you and that game came out, what, 88? No, that was 93. 93. I oh, was okay. I was 8 years old at that time. You were time. like 9. You were 8 or 9. 8 or yeah, 9, okay, yeah. That makes sense. But I, was, but I was your older 12, 13-year-old brother who had been through Link to the Past and was aware of the tropes of what yeah. we were dealing with. So yeah. yeah. I remember playing through Link's Awakening and having watched or helped Paul playing it as a kid and being like, oh, he was really frustrated with this. And I always, in my head, think of Paul as smarter than me, yeah. even though... In some way, like at that point, he was five or three or four years younger than me. So probably not still developing mentally at that point. So, yeah. But uh, and I'd played Link to the Past a couple times by then. So I was just like, oh, yeah, this is Zelda games. This is what you do. And he was like, wow, you know these games. And I'm like, well, we'll put you in the Super Nintendo one when you're done this one, because that's a real game. Well, this is fun, but that's crazy. Yeah. Well, the the thing with Link's Awakening is that it wasn't um, designed maybe as carefully as Link to the Past was because it was, when I looked it up, it was like an after-school project for the developers from Link to the Past. They, oh, okay. They took Link to the Past and they were going to make a sequel out of it. All these guys were developing this Game Boy game for fun, which is why there are so many cameos from other Nintendo totally. franchises. Like yeah. you get Mario and Kirby is in there too. I'm, not, I'm wondering if those cameos are going to last into the new game which is out in a couple weeks actually yeah which i'm super excited about (laughs) so because of the weirdness of its development it just has a charm to it when they decided that they were going to remaster it and still have that kind of cartoonish style like my nostalgia center in my brain just 
started glowing. Like I could feel the yeah. warmth in my brain when the, I saw that. I was so excited. So I was like, yeah, yeah, you know what? This is maybe my Zelda game when it comes down to it. Like, don't get me wrong. I think that there are other Zelda games that are designed better, but do I like them as much? I don't think so. And there's like even the limitations of the Game Boy where you had to assign your sword to the A or B button and like you could not, you could have Link without using his sword for a while. Like that was kind of cool too, even though it was really awkward and annoying, it was still added to the challenge and the fun of the game. So yeah, and just having an alternate universe Zelda game where you're playing inside of Link's head. When Link dreams, this is his dream world. It's a weird, like, Inception thing that, like, Nintendo did a lot of that in that era, because Mario 2 is like that, Yes, too. it was, it's, yeah. Like, the whole thing happens in Mario's head, where, like, it's a dream that Mario's having. Yeah. That's a trope Nintendo likes using. It's a very, like, 80s St. Elsewhere trope, right? Like, <sighs> yeah. oh, it was all a dream, and I'm like, was that super common in Japanese media at the time? Because it seems to pop up in these games that we grew up with like all the time yeah well think about the two nintendo games like mario 2 was not meant to be a real mario sequel it was doki doki panic and leaks awakening was not really meant to be a a release period it was just kind of like a a fun thing so like maybe nintendo did that to hedge their bets against people who might have said like well at least we can declare this non-canon if people don't like it yeah, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, and people liked both of those games. So, like, yeah. elements of both Link's Awakening and Mario 2 still persist in other franchises. Like, in the same franchise yeah. in later iterations, like Shy Guys and um, Birdo, Birdo yeah, and all that stuff. Mario games yeah, really frequently. Yeah, yeah for sure. Malin and Talon are, were Marin and Terran from this game. Like, they persisted yeah. in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. So, yeah, Link's Awakening is weird. But it is charming and it's fun. And I highly, highly recommend the Link's Awakening DX version if you guys are going to emulate it. Or you can wait for the re-release. I don't know if it's going to be good yet, but I have, like, how could they fuck that up? Like a Nintendo game, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, it'll be an 8 out of 10 minimum. So yeah. Play. whatever. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because we're both going to name Zelda games and neither of us are going to name Ocarina because that's that game that I felt doesn't hold up particularly well. But it's interesting that neither of us will be picking it. Yeah, I'm not. I still think that Ocarina was such a huge step, obviously. And like, but yeah. I, when I go back to the 64 era, I prefer playing Majora's Mask because it just has more style. Like it's just, yeah, and, sure. and it's moodier. Like the the whole tone of the game, it has like this foreboding sense. Cause you know, the moon is going to fucking crash into the world. Yeah. Into Terminal. Yeah. yeah into Terminal. I, I love uh, Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask is one of those games that I beat the original N64 release yeah. by the skin of my teeth. And I will never play it again. Oh. I love that game. I had a blast with it, but it's the most depressing, frustrating gaming experience that I've almost ever had. And I just, I can't bring myself to ever play it again for some reason. Two words, lover's mask. Yes, that's the one. Yes, <laughs> that long, long quest. It takes nine cycles or whatever. Because, yeah. oh yeah. my God. Yeah. You need to repeat those cycles so many times to get other masks. And so anyway, we're not going to get into the fuckery that is Majora's Mask because that would be yeah. a whole episode into itself. Yeah. So with that said, let's move on to our number three. Mark, what's your number three for me? is another Nintendo franchise, oh. but oh. I know this is going to surprise everybody. Yeah. It's not Zelda. It's uh, Metroid Prime oh. is my number three. Metroid Prime. Yes, I could have easily said Super Metroid because as we have spoken about at length on this podcast, I love 2D Metroidvania games and Metroid is basically the source code for those games. Like that's the original of that style of game. And it's still 
one of the finest pieces of software ever developed for Nintendo system, as far as I'm concerned. But that being said, the Prime series is a specifically Metroid Prime 1, but like all three games, which are now sadly landlocked on that GameCube Wii era of systems, which are awkward to emulate or even find copies of and stuff like that anymore, uh, especially considering how poorly the Wii U did, unfortunately. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of deserved its fate for being the weird bastard stepchild of a Wii and a Switch yeah. in a time when nobody wanted either of those things anymore. So, or yet, I guess. Or yet, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of sad. But like, I do feel like Metroid Prime, Metroid Prime was one of those games, like when I got a GameCube, I was like, oh, right. Nintendo's finally doing an adult video game console and we're getting cool stuff for it. They've put Tony Hawk out for it. We got the most amazing Star Wars Rogue Squadron game at launch. Remember Rogue Squadron 3? Like, just how ridiculous that game looked when it launched on the GameCube? Yeah. I was convinced the GameCube was going to be amazing just because of that and Luigi's Mansion. I thought were amazing games. And Eternal Darkness. Don't forget Eternal Darkness. Eternal Darkness. I mean, the GameCube is a fucking awesome system. Yeah, it was. I, I have no problem. I love my GameCube. I still have my GameCube. And the reason for it, I still have it, is because of this game. I hate Metroid Prime on Wii. Like, I don't like waggle controls, and I never have. And while I do not think that the Metroid conversions that they did for the Wii are bad, I still just kind of prefer the lock-on feel of the original GameCube release. Mm-hmm. So I always go back to the GameCube original for this game. But it's just one of those, like, it's the perfect Metro game. You're stuck in 3D, and having them move it to the first-person perspective adds to that oppressive isolation that you feel yeah. in this game. Like, you're alone in a hostile environment, and you don't know what's going to happen. And it really plays up the horror of the Metroid franchise. Like the beauty of the Metroid franchise is that it is a sci-fi horror franchise, Mm -hmm. right? It's a big riff on alien. So like being stuck on this planet as yeah, you're badass Samus, the the baddest ass bounty hunter in the galaxy, Mm -hmm. but you're still alone and you have been, your systems are disabled and you have to go find all this stuff. And they thrust you in this weird, terrifying world that when you compare it to like what you had seen in super Metroid, it's so big and now you're in 3d and it's like, everything's crazy. And it's just the most, it's like this super immersive experience to me where I just like start playing it. And I'm like, for the, whatever it takes me to play it now, like 10, 15 hours or whatever, if I'm really taking a slow, like get everything, do everything kind of run through of it. And I don't do it often. There's not a game I replay very often, but when I do, it's because of the way it makes me feel it's a off putting alienating game to play because you're just isolated in this space. Mm -hmm. And I don't find any other game really gives me that feeling. And that's why I think Metroid Prime is my favorite Metroid, because you just feel that you're landlocked and stuck and alone. And you feel it more in that game, I think, than any of the other ones, because you're in the helmet. And like you can see Samus's reaction to stuff. And like it feels like it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the beauty of first person. I mean, yeah, it makes for fun shooters, but it also can add like a a level of integration into the story that you can't get otherwise. And Metroid prime crushes that feeling for me. Yeah. And I'll like, that's why I say Metroid prime over super Metroid. Yeah. So, and I think that like, it, there's something to be said about the way that the Metroid series handles atmosphere and that they were able to translate yeah. that from 2d to 3d so well yeah. with, by choosing that first person guess just went to show how much, Team Ninja didn't understand that when they did Other M. Yeah, you're in constant contact with everybody. You're, there's other Marines on the station with you. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a Metroid game because like a Metroid game is Survival you're horror. Samus and you're alone and you are stuck in a bad situation that you can get yourself out of because you are Samus and like basically 
the baddest ass person in that galaxy, but it's still going to be like a slog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Putting support around you, it doesn't make it makes it a yeah. It's Metroid in name, but it's not a Metroid game in that like it doesn't have that yeah level of isolation or like whatever you want to call it the atmosphere of yeah isolation that super metroid metroid prime have yeah space yeah for a good example of that is in super metroid when you get the i think it's an energy capsule or a a missile capsule or one of the new weapons and uh from the chozo statue and then you run to the door and it locks and then the chozo statue and but there's no music just it's just that little bleepy bloop like thing that they have in the background all the time and then the chozo statue starts shedding its outer layers and it becomes yeah and that to me is like quintessentially what super metroid is all about that and when you um walk into the crate even even the statue that's there giving you stuff to help you is probably may turn around and fuck you up yeah and try to kill you. that's how bad this that's how hostile this environment is to you yeah even the parts that look like they should be helping you may wake up and try and take a chunk out of you yeah so yeah so yeah i'm on board with that like i i am dying for a metroid prime re-release on the switch i will pay oh full God. price for it I, I will just give it to us <laughs> yeah i can't believe those games are not available somewhere else to play yeah like it infuriates me that nintendo treats the metroid franchise as piss poorly as it does like it just yeah. irritates the shit out of me because it's one of those franchises like yeah maybe you would just remake one of them every generation yeah but at least do that like at least give me that you know what i mean like i don't care if you're going like oh we're gonna do super metroid but we're gonna do it in 3d or something i'm like fine sure remake super metroid just fucking give me a metroid game more often than once a goddamn decade <sighs> i don't mean a good metroid game more often than once a decade yeah it's been i mean yes we did just get samus returns not too long ago which was great but it's not like it didn't feel like a real like i just wanted like I don't know. There was something about it that kind of lacked for me, but yeah, I, yeah, I like prime four, just that can't get here fast. that's my reason to stay alive for the next four years. <laughs> Seriously. Four, that's, holy shit. I'm excited for that. Yeah. So what's your uh, number four there? Or where are we at? Three. three. Number three. My number three yeah. is final fantasy nine. Okay. Mm. Now I love final fantasy six and like people like, and I'm a big devotee to the 16 bit era. Don't do not get me wrong. But when I was coming of age as a teenager, like I got to enjoy final fantasy three, which in North America was six in Japan when I wasn't quite there yet in terms of skill at video games and stuff like that. Like I was getting there, but you know, now all final fantasy games are second nature to me. And I really cut my teeth on final fantasy seven and eight, but mm-hmm. it was nine that showed me the potential of what final fantasy storytelling is, what the combat system could be and what a finished polished final fantasy game should look like and feel like. And that was the last one too. Was <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, yeah. because except if you count Final Fantasy 14, because yeah, but I mean that didn't come out. That needed like a year to get polished. Ex- that was a turd when it came it out. Certainly so. was. And so one of the reasons is that when they started leaning into voice acting, things got weird, and the storytelling got weird, and like it became more anime 
tropey. Final Fantasy 7 and 8 were plagued with some localization issues, like the translations were not particularly good. There were even spelling errors in Final Fantasy 7 that happened. The story of every Japanese game that was released on the PlayStation. In, in like, the early, come on, we just, yeah. like, we're going to talk about Symphony of the Night in a minute, and there's some fucking bonkers shit in yeah. there, too. Yeah, so. <laughs> holy symbol. Anyway, yeah. but these spelling mistakes occurred in times where it was like super dramatic moments, spoiler alert, when yeah. Eris dies, because it's spelled B-E-A-C-A-U-S-E, because you're a puppet. Ah, it still rattles me, especially now that like I am in a teaching position where I have to teach kids how to spell the word because, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, I can't do it anymore. But Final Fantasy VII, had a lot of localization issues but had a better combat system than eight eight had like a weird weirder story but started feeling less and less like what final fantasy was previously because they were getting more into sci-fi and less into fantasy and then final fantasy 9 was a return to form like it went back to a more cartoonish style sword and sorcery each character was their own class as opposed yeah. to any character being whatever powerhouse they were and having like just flavors of the previous classes. Yeah. These were like legit, this is the class that you are kind of thing. And so the mini games were fun. The world building was amazing. The characters were so great, except for maybe Amarant, who is like, he's one of the later additions to the, the cast of characters and doesn't get a lot of character development overall. But generally speaking, this is like my favorite cast of characters in a Final Fantasy game. I love that even the combat system, there's no game breaking stuff. Even if you have all of the maxed out game breaking stuff, in the game there can still be a challenge to it whereas in final fantasy 7 and 8 if you have everybody maxed out and you're using the most powerful stuff no fight is particularly difficult so yeah well i mean rpgs if you can overpower yourself yeah then yeah you're gonna you're gonna break the game you're gonna you're gonna and so because this is before the final fantasy 10 nightmare voice acting final fantasy 12 is a good game and the voice acting is significantly better than 10 but has like the storyline itself is so basic like it's just kind of a fantasy more fantasy retread of star wars and final fantasy 15 13 well i skipped 13 altogether 13 and 15 just what was 13 i don't even 13 remember was 13. lightning lightning do you remember lightning she was like the female cloud with the pink hair and she was like the super badass i'm a girl but i'm basically cloud I, when, what gen was this ps3 oh i must have just completely missed that oh. completely somehow i don't know how i missed there it. was a 13 2 and a 13 3 so like i remember that kind of stuff but i don't remember any details about it and usually like this is one of those series that like i don't have a lot to say about because final fantasy is not my thing turn-based rpgs are not my thing and they never have been yes. but i know a lot about it by proxy because my brother like is my brother and he loves these fucking sure do so but I'm sitting here trying to think, like, I usually read video game news fairly, like, from top to bottom, regardless of what it's about, including, like, the Square games, because I know Paul's interested, and it'll give me something to talk to my brother about. But I have no recollection of 13. Yeah. Literally whatsoever. Like, it's just complete blank. Uh, 13. Even 12, yeah. to a certain extent. Like, I don't remember that one either. Yeah, 12 and 13 are not beloved in the franchise the way that other games are. Like, Final Fantasy X was the first PS2 era game. And so yeah. it was beloved for that reason. And the graphical improvements over the PS1 era were significant. And then we moved on to Final Fantasy XI, which was the online, the first online one. 
their first hack at the online yeah. version. Yeah. yeah, and which is still it still runs. Is it really? Yeah, I didn't. I thought that would have killed it when fourteen came out. That's like still makes that money. Got to be fifteen years old. Yeah, right? still makes money. So God, that game was crazy. Yeah, and thirteen. Yeah, thirteen and twelve and fifteen are are not beloved in the franchise. Fifteen has like major meme status because it's like the first PS4. Final Fantasy. Yeah. It took forever to develop. That was supposed to be a Final Fantasy 13 spin-off. That's right. I remember that. That I remember. Yeah. And it got it had a lot of memes because of the bros in the car, mm-hmm. sexy anime men doing sexy anime things. I was I know and like when when 15 came out we were doing the podcast so I was like right in the depth of like reading all yeah. the video game news all the time. So I was very aware of the development of 15 and I was just like this looks ridiculous. Like it doesn't even look like a Final Fantasy game anymore. What are we doing? I was like wait, I don't like these games. I don't care. Yeah. Paul must be very upset. <laughs> I kind of walked away. I was kind of into what the art direction was giving me, but mm. the actual playing of the game was pretty fucking dull. So I just got, I just didn't. And I invested in the pre-order and I'll never do it again. No more yeah, pre-ordering yeah. games. And I've yeah, learned my... Pre-ordering back games is a bad idea. Like, never I, do I it. I don't do that anymore. Never do it. Yeah. Um, so t- talk about 9 a little bit more. Those three Final Fantasy games for the PlayStation I, are the ones that I even I'm most familiar yeah. with. Obviously because you stole my fucking PlayStation constantly to play them. Yes. Or were in my room playing them when I came home yes. half the time. Yes. So I was like, just take the fucking PlayStation at that point. Because I don't want to sit here and listen to you play these games for nine hours at a stretch. Yeah. Because uh, you would do that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember looking at nine and being like, oh, it's fantasy again. Yeah. Like, at least this makes sense to me. Yeah. Like, I track that. You know what I mean? So, and I remember you being very into it. Yeah. You were like, you ripped through nine like five times. Like, yes. the first couple of months you had it, like, you really tore into that game. It, so. Like, I, I remember replaying that more than the others because like first of all the story is more satisfying overall it's more cohesive it makes more sense it's like it has a satisfying conclusion but also like the combat system is really great the side quests are incredible and it has better lore overall because like you can deep dive into the history of each of the cities that you visit um and it has what they call the active time events combat yeah well they have the active time combat atb but they had active time events in final fantasy 9 where if you wanted to instead of speeding through the game like you were you had control of a character but if you press the select button you could choose to see a cutscene. Or, or you could skip it all together. But if you just saw the cutscene, you might see the other characters interacting in the world outside of like the main party. And so you can okay. see them, let's see like Dagger. Dagger is the princess of the story. And she's trying to doing a Prince in the Popper routine where she's trying to blend in and look like a commoner. And so you see her trying really hard to curb her ways and copy the commoners around her. And you wouldn't see that if you didn't select it, like you can skip it all together, but it gives you the option okay. of like having these little character moments where Dagger is trying to relate to people when she's lived in a castle her whole life. And it's really charming and also some of those are some of the more dramatic moments where you you have to do really specific things in order to trigger these side events so you can learn some really deep lore about the characters which i found so cool like you have to fight for pieces of story and as a big reader and a big lover of literature in general like final fantasy 9 is the game that has the best storytelling because it's almost like choose your own adventure but more structured and it has a great game underneath all of that or on top of all of that story so that's why i love it so much yeah Yeah. all right so let's move on to our 
Number two. Number two. What's number two for you? Uh, this is where things start to change a little bit for me. Uh, number two is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, not in my number one spot anymore. <gasps> I made an interesting decision this week that things have changed a little bit in my head. But Symphony of the Night still my favorite of the Egovania-style Metroidvania games. I know it's the first and some would argue probably the most mechanically dull of the bunch. But there is a character and just charm to symphony of the night that doesn't exist anywhere else in the playstation library or even in the castlevania library like a lot of the egovania games have similar elements to them but there is a panache to symphony of the night yeah that just doesn't exist elsewhere and that's why it's the game that i will go back to it plays like fucking perfect silk like it's just the smoothest silk playing game of all time it feels good to control alucard as he moves through the castle the progression as you get more and more powerful is super satisfying because you go in basically equipped like a god and you get it stripped away from you and then you slowly build your way back up to being that powerful again and when you get to that point again you're just like ha yeah dracula is going to be my goddamn bitch when i get to him because i'm going to tear him in half now Mm -hmm. and you do and like yes you can make the game very easy but it's just it's a nice big game and again it's the, one of those things that metroidvania games do that i like is so you're alone in a hostile environment and you got to kind of survive your way through it and i like that mm-hmm. like there's there's something to be said about the zelda slash metroidvania you're the sole hero in a isolated environment and you explore to find new items so that you can explore a new and the next area like that's the metroidvania loop in a nutshell is like new item that opens up a new area to explore, which opens up a new item, which opens up a new area. And that's how these games kind of play out. And every game that I've listed, except for Mario World, plays exactly the same way. And that's basically the core of my video game loop love. Like, that's what I love about these games. And Symphony is the one that really, like, codified it for me. And every time you get one of those new powers, like, you get your double jump, and then you get your bat form, and then you get your mist form, and you're like you get start powering up to the point where like, yeah, you can carry around two rings of Varda or you can you like equip a chrysogram or you find the chrysogram eventually. And you're just like a death machine all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And it's just this satisfying experience of a game. And I'm at the point now where I can play through symphony of the night and get two rings of Varda and a chrysogram drops and probably still do it in like four hours total. Mm-hmm. And all those four hours are just pure joy for me. And I, I replay it all the time. Like I probably replay it twice a year. Yeah. Just sit down and be like, it's symphony of the night day. I'm doing six hours of symphony of the night today. Cause I just need to be in Castlevania. Let's do this. And I'll just sit down and fucking rip through it. Yeah, Absolutely. And by about an hour and a half in, I'm like, I'm too powerful for anything that really touched me. Now it's just time to rip this thing apart. <laughs> and I just love that. Like I can go anywhere now. All right, monsters. It's time to get, fucked up by alcohol die monsters uh, yeah, yeah exactly die monsters is right yeah. so yeah symphony of the night is number two now yeah. still far and away my favorite of these metroidvania like 2d metroidvania games yeah. it is it still holds up i still feel like it's just like again chef's kiss but yeah. it's such i think i'm a good game yeah i think i mentioned this on a previous episode of the podcast but i still appreciate the sense of humor that uh, these games have even though they are in yeah. a horror setting it isn't like this decadent aristocratic homosexual vampire <laughs> moment like happening here it's like super like it kind of reminds me of like the way how decadent some of the vampires in Anne Rice's novels are and stuff like that but yeah the, but they play that up like if you read some of the item descriptions 
like the localization team had some fun with the way that they talk oh, yeah. about them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or like the way that you can super jump underneath the librarian's chair for a bonus and stuff like that. You get cool bonuses and stuff. If you do it right the rent like a long time, you can get some really high-end gear from him. Yeah. Really early in the game. Yeah. Like he drops stuff like armor that is you can take direct shots from guardians yeah. and completely survive at like level three if you have that uh armor equipped that yeah. he drops because it's like dracula's garb or something like that and it's crazy yeah. powerful but yeah, yeah there's weird little secrets in this game that are just like the axe armor so much fun like you can play as yeah, axe, axe armor, armor if you want you can equip your sword familiar once you get it to a specific level yeah. and like use it as a sword also and it's just like this is this game's got everything yeah you know? it's just like it's fun 16 32 bit 2d style insanity yeah where it's like wow we have a cd's worth of space to just fuck around and put pixel art on let's do it and also this game is so beautiful. Yeah, it is. Like, it's my favorite 2D pixel art game. Like the the art on this game is just next level. Yeah. Like I love this the style of Symphony of the Night. They've never touched the style, like the art direction yeah. of Symphony of the Night ever again. Like it's never been as good as this. Yeah. One. There's some like obviously the boss design is incredible. Like Grand Falloon oh, yeah. or Bob, Like Bob, Yeah. Yeah. Even the like the succubus design is amazing. Yep. The death design in this game is like really pretty good. iconic. I love the Dracula at the end. Yep. The version of like the Duke Nukem version of the monster. Yeah, that was kind of funny, kind of funny for the era. Yeah, classic Medusa. You know, uh, yeah, classic Medusa. You get Slogger and Mothra, who you just beat the shit out of because that's what you do to them. Yep. And, like that's the way it works. And then it's great, yeah, huh? yeah, I appreciate all of that. But there's like little touches to the game. And the way that it's animated, like the way that Alucard's cape billows as he moves is just so just like they cared so much. Like they wanted they wanted him to look like he moves beautifully, you know, like they you could feel that even the way that he backdashes is so like elegant graceful and yeah, cool yeah, yeah i love it so yeah, I, yeah i'm with that, you on and that. that's the sword swash where he just kind of like lets everything fall when he's done like everything yeah. yeah the animation on this game is next level it's great yeah i if you haven't played symphony of the night man you should really give yourself a kick in the head and go fucking try symphony yeah of the you can get it on playstation 4 for like nothing plus you get rondo of blood along with it which is one of the best old school 2d side-scrolling Castlevania experiences you'll ever have yeah. and the story ties directly into the story of symphony of the night and it makes a nice complete package my my favorite symp- like my favorite castlevania story is the rondo into symphony era yeah like those are like those two stories are just like that works for me 100 percent to the point where like if that series gets to the point where they do a solo season and that solo season is just like basically symphony of the night for eight episodes that will be the greatest goddamn eight episodes of animated television I will fucking ever oh, watch. Oh, that would be so cool. If it's good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if it's good, it will be the, my favorite thing ever because, like, I love this the way this story works and I love that. And the way they've nailed the Alucard character in that show, he feels like that Alucard. Yeah, he does. And I'm like, oh, yeah. man, let's get to the Symphony era because I want to do that story. Like, I know we've heard the story already, but, like, I just want to see it done this way because yeah. it's beautiful. I want, uh, yeah. And it's written by Warren Ellis. So... Bonus points for Warren fucking Ellis, yeah. you know what I mean? It's going to get weirder than it already is because Warren's involved. I love the Symphony of the Night stuff, and I love the Aria of Sorrow, Soma Cruz stuff, but I'm yeah. really looking... Yeah, the Aria stuff, too, because it's also the conclusion of Alucard's Alucard, story, yeah. like the next step of Alucard's story, like he's in there, Yeah, too. but my number one story that I want to see adapted is Simon's Curse, like Castlevania 2. Oh, Castlevania 2. Yeah, Simon's Curse, for well, sure. We're, we're dealing with Trevor right now. Yeah, right? he's Castlevania 3, but which was a prequel. 
This is a prequel, yeah. So I guess they could do a season of Simon, like Simon, and do like maybe the the first game is like the first three episodes of the season, yeah. And then Simon's Quest is season two, yeah. and then season three is like Rondo, and then season four is fucking Symphony. Yeah. Just give it to yeah. me. Just put it right in my fucking veins. I'll take all that vampire action. Just give it to yeah, me. Absolutely. You know, I'm all for especially when it's written again oh, by the fantastic Warren Ellis. You we know what I mean? Just, we stand. We stand Warren Ellis. We stand. Oh, we stand Warren Ellis hard on this podcast. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. So what's your number two, kid? My number two is uh Pokemon Gold and Silver or Heart Gold Soul Silver, which was the remake. Those are- last gen no those are gen 2 and gen 4 remakes okay okay, fair. okay. I'm, I'm with you okay again. so pokemon like final fantasy i know a lot about pokemon i ignore completely yeah. like that's just not a franchise i have any interest in and never had they haven't been on console yet so like you wouldn't even be able to watch me play it really unless you were watching me play stadium and i would never try and play those because again handheld like i have a hard time with handhelds my hands just cramp up like crazy i have bad arthritis now like i'm 40 it's it's no good. yeah or almost 40 like it's no good yeah. anymore so, so yeah, handhelds are a no-go for yeah me, but tell me about pokemon okay so pokemon gold and silver is weird because this is kind of like the same kind of thing as they called final fantasy final fantasy because they never expected it to do well and that was going to be the game and that was it but then suddenly it started selling pokemon gold and silver were kind of that thing where like they didn't think that the pokemon franchise was really going to become what it became but then when it became what it became pokemon gold and silver is I feel like one of the biggest and most complete games of the series. Like, I would argue that maybe there were games that had better quality of life improvements overall in the way that they feel and stuff like that. But there's something about the way that the story progression happens in Pokemon Gold and Silver that is pretty amazing. Because it feels like the only direct sequel to the previous game. Um, Pokemon Red and Blue, like every time you have a new game, your protagonists are named after the color of the cartridge. Like you have Red and Blue, Gold and Silver, whatever. So Red becomes the Pokemon champion in Pokemon Red and Blue. Then you're you're playing as either gold or silver. And then you go through and beat the Johto League because you're in different regions every time. Kanto is the first region. Johto is the second region. You beat the Johto League. You get your eight badges because you always have to compete for eight badges and then beat the Elite Four and then beat the champion of the region. After you beat the Elite, the, the eight gen and the Elite Four of Johto, and the champion of that region, they're like, well, actually, now that you've done Johto, you can go back to Kanto and play through all of Kanto again and challenge their champion at the end of that game. They've never done that again for some reason. Okay. Like, this is the only game that has 16 gyms that you can beat, two different Elite Four champions, and just like, it's so fucking good and at the end of the game you get to challenge basically yourself from the previous you get to challenge red for the title of ultimate pokemon champion in gold and silver um and it's one of the few games you can collect the entire pokedex between the two games and like once you open up kanto it just opens up a whole new era of being able to catch all these Pokemon. It's so good. And when they remade it in Heart Gold Soul Silver, because Pokemon has refined its battle system 
over the years to make it a little bit more streamlined, more interesting, less restrictive, um, and to give each Pokemon more of a chance to shine. Like in Generation 4, they did the physical and special split for the first time, which allowed like there to be physical fire moves and special fire moves. So if you had a physical fire attacker or special fire attacker, whatever. Anyway, the games are getting more and more refined as time goes on. So when I got to have gold and silver, my favorite Pokemon game as a child, but in beautiful sprite animation with all of these new battle mechanics added to it, it's just might be one of the high points of the franchise for me. Some people argue that Black and White, the next generation after Heart Gold, Soul mm-hmm. Silver, were the best, and it's been a steep decline after that since they've gone 3D, which I might agree with, considering the hashtag Bring Back National Dex controversy for Sword and Shield. But I love this franchise. I fucking love this franchise, and this game is the reason why I love this franchise so much. So, Pokemon Gold and Silver. Mark will never get it, but he oh. knows that I love it very dearly. <laughs> I do, and like it's like the join and Newsome thing that we used to talk about all the time on the other podcast, where like I try and I try and I try, and it's just something that's not going to click for me, and it's just not going to click for me. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I know Pikachu. I did watch the Detective Pikachu movie. We never talked about that on oh, the podcast. Yeah. I got super stoned one night and watched that movie, and I had fun with it. It was real weird, though. Like it, It's a strange movie. Yeah. Like I was watching just like, I'm sure some of this is like Pokemon shit that I should understand. Or I would understand if I was a Pokemon person, but like as a non-Pokemon person watching this, we'll just say because I like Ryan Reynolds a lot, I guess. I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? And then when he shows up as the dad at the end, I was like, wait, Deadpool is a dad in this movie? No, no, I can't deal with this reality. This reality is too fucked. Yeah, it's too (laughs) fucked up for my existence. So I'm like, I I need to, I need to step away. I do try with some of this stuff. I just, I'm not a turn-based guy. I can't, I just doesn't, it doesn't click for me. Like it doesn't make sense to my gameplay brain yeah. to like do that turn-based stuff i don't know yeah. it's never worked the, anyway the thing about it's been done in the past but i think pokemon kind of perfected that kind of rock paper scissors elemental like you need it to yeah. use a super effective move or resist with some uh, pokemon well, I mean, and stuff like that that it's always been around that's the street fighter formula right is the rock paper scissors thing yeah like, like if you block you can be thrown but if you go for a throw, you could get punched. And if you go for a punch, you could get blocked. Yeah. Like you ha- there's always that rock, paper, scissors element to the, to the, a game like that. Yeah. And that's what makes them fun. Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes Pokemon fun is that you've got like the, yeah. the but it's rock, paper, scissors with 18 type choices. And those type choices can be combined in an almost infinite number of ways, not yeah. almost infinite, but a, a large number of ways. And then those fights become like really interesting super crazy yeah, yeah. and so yeah, yeah like there are optimal team compositions and things like that there's reasons that there are different tier lists for pokemon there's 810 or 11 pokemon 812 pokemon now and they've already started introducing that's a lot of pokemon yeah that's a lot of pokemon we'll probably get up to over 900 by sword and shield show. even though we'll not be able to play as all of them god damn it but like Yeah, so Pokemon, I think there's a reason why it's such an enduring franchise and why people care so much about it. And I'm waiting and seeing for Pokemon Sword and Shield. There's a reason I have not pre-ordered that game. But yeah, and Final Fantasy XV might have been one of the reasons for that. Anyway, so here we are, our number one video game of all time. Mark, what is your number one video game of all time currently? Currently, my favorite video game of all time, I was going to say Link to the Past, and then I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I think 
Breath of the Wild is now my favorite Zelda game and therefore my favorite game of all uh-huh. time. The last time I played through it, and I know we had some con- like some conflicting opinions about how Breath of the Wild works for the other people on the podcast that were on that episode with me when we did the kind of Tim finally beat it two years later kind of episode, which I could look up the number of, but I don't care that much right now. But well, I replayed it at that point. Now, the staggering thing about that is that this is a 200-hour game that within the first year and a half or two years of its release, I played through twice. That is basically unheard of because I hate, hate the idea of spending that much time with any single video game except this one Mm -hmm. because Breath of the Wild just, it took, and I said this on the episode, it takes the element of isolation and kind of fear that you get from a Metroid game and applies it to a Zelda game and gives you this huge skyrim open world to do it in that's just so much fun to like fuck with mechanically like the physics of the game and all the little systems you get to play with and stuff mm-hmm. that it's just so satisfying to exist in breath of the wilds hyrule that i i'm like this is the best zelda game like this is a zelda it's not even a zelda game anymore it's a zelda simulator like it's a being link simulator yeah. you can live in hyrule for like a week while you complete this i'm waking up and taking down the divine beasts and then finally gearing myself up to just go take down Ganon and save my girlfriend or whatever mm-hmm. that story is supposed to be. And it's perfect. Like, it's just, I love it so much mm-hmm. because it's, it does atmosphere. It does the, I know a lot of people bitch about like the lack of storytelling in the game, but what I like, I'm a very big environment. Like I'm an artist. So like, I like environmental storytelling and this game does that in spades. That first run as you're leaving your wake up area, and you get off the plateau, like the plateau yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And you're you're doing that first run out to Kakariko Village to go find um I can't remember the, the character's name, but like the Impa, Impa. Yeah. Going to find Impa. And you're running past the field and you're just like everything's desolate, right? Like there's nothing around. There's just towers and watchtowers and like bases and homes that have just been crushed and are rubble and have been obviously been grown into for like a century because you've been unconscious for however long, right? Mm-hmm. And you do that run through and then you eventually get past the first stable and you enter the field that you eventually find out is where the climactic battle happened between Zelda Link and the last of Ganon's forces that caused them to put Link into the stasis chamber, I guess, for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. right now. But you're just kind of opened up into this field where you just see all those guardians that you've had some experience dealing with, but you just see an army of them in this field and they're all dead. And you're like, what? the fuck is the story here? Yeah. And you get to look around and be like, there's no explanation for what happened here. You're just like in an ancient battlefield and you're probably sure that you were had something to do with this because you're, you're link. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're like, I have no idea what the fuck this is. I need to find that impa lady and find out what the fuck is going on. Cause yep. this is crazy. Yeah. And I was just, I remember play, sitting down and playing it on my Wii U. Cause I played it through it the first time on Wii U and just being like, I know there's a lot of controversial opinions about this and it's a lot different and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is the perfect Zelda game. This is what I wanted out of a Zelda game. Finally, they did the GTA of Zelda and gave me this huge open world to explore. And you really feel like the link. Like I always, I put myself real, I'm trying to think of the word I'm trying to to use here. You project. Yeah. You could like, I project myself onto that link a lot more because like he's alone and you're kind of reacting to things as he's reacting to them. Cause he doesn't remember what's going on either. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of finding out as you go along and piecing the, putting the pieces together. And you're like, yeah, this world got real fucked up. I need to, 
I need to get all my power back, and I need to go stick my sword in Ganon's asshole. Yeah. Because that's what I'm going to do. The storytelling of Breath of the Wild, I think, owes a significant amount to Shadows of the Colossus, which is one of my honorable mentions. Agreed. But the fact that Shadows of the Colossus is a lot more linear, like surprisingly yeah. much more linear than Breath of the Wild in a lot of ways. Because yeah. like with Breath of the Wild, there's so many side quests and like little temples that you can do. Like you can power yourself up to the nth degree before you go see Ganon or not. Like it yeah. really depends. It's that show don't tell thing that i wish more final fantasy games did like final fantasy 9 did a pretty good job of the show don't tell final fantasy 8 actually had its moments too but like shadows of the colossus and breath of the wild do show don't tell so well yeah that it's just like yes this is what storytelling in video games should be you don't need to force feed everything like a lot of like that game company like journey and flowered it's all show don't tell there's no dialogue in it whatsoever and so like I wish more video games storytelling wise would if they're especially if they're adventure yeah kind of if they're yeah. adventure games yeah like if you're doing a crime game you've got to have character development and dialogue I, I understand that that's the genre right but like adventure games allow you to like have these breathtaking moments and let you fill in the gaps yourself and a lot yeah. of indie developers understand that, but I don't think a lot of mainstream gaming developers trust their audience enough. And I was glad that Nintendo did. There's an interesting one in my honorable mentions that is a huge, huge AAA PlayStation game, like massive AAA PlayStation game, does exactly this to a character that most people fucking loathe. And I'm curious to see if you've ever played it. So we'll talk about it when we get to the honorable mentions. But yeah, um, Breath of the Wild... I don't know how to explain it to you if you've never played it because it is almost impossible to explain. It is a giant open world. Like you're just put in a sandbox and allowed that is shaped like Hyrule and has all the Hyrule stuff you would want in it. And you're given as a link who is amnesiac or amnesiac and amnesiac. Yeah. Like you're getting to discover all this stuff at the same time as him. And it's just the most satisfying gaming experience, especially when you play it through with all the DLC intact and you get that whole story of like, yes, you have to go find the master sword. And now you got to go power up the master sword by really completing these trials. And like, that's going to, I mean, at that point, Ganon may as well just be made out of butter and cotton candy. Cause you're going to fucking destroy mm-hmm. him in like 13 seconds. Cause your sword is too powerful, but like, it's super satisfying after like 200 hours of like hunting Koroks and, doing dumb side quests and hunting fucking dragon scales for hours and hours on end and all this other stuff you have to do in this world to go in and Ganon comes down and to think to yourself like, man, this would be real scary if I hadn't done that 200 hours before me, but uh, I did. So let's just nuke this fucker in 14 seconds Ooh. and, you know, snicked and let's do this. Yeah. Thing. I, I love that feeling. So yeah. yeah. If you haven't played breath of the wild and you're a Zelda fan, you, pff, what the fuck fix you your problem fix your problem yeah basically and if you haven't haw about it because it's so big like just let just sink yourself in it's like a warm bath you're just gonna feel at home mm-hmm. eventually and you're gonna love it like i want to replay it now that i'm talking about it and that's 200 hours of my life they'll just disappear again yeah. so yeah breath of the wild has basically conquered zelda in my heart and is now therefore my favorite game of all time because my favorite game of all time for the longest time was either symphony of the night or link to the past and Breath of the Wild made me realize that Link to the Past is an awesome game from a very, very long ago era mm-hmm. and has been surpassed by 
modern technology, basically. And I know some of our podcast hosts will disagree with me on this opinion, but that's why it's an opinion and it's mine. (laughs) So there you go. Yep. All right. So now we're getting down to my number one, which if you've known me for a long time, will not surprise you. My number one game of all time is Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. Okay. I was trying to figure out, like you did Final Fantasy and Pokemon, and I'm like, huh. What is number one then? <laughs> and I completely forgot about Mario RPG. So, uh, cool. Yes. So, Super Mario RPG is a joint Nintendo Squaresoft development thing. Um, I think mostly on the Squaresoft mm-hmm. end because it is a turn-based RPG. But it mm-hmm. uses almost entirely Nintendo characters and some new characters that they've developed, which became kind of like fan-favorite Nintendo characters that they have not touched again for some reason. Poor Gino, RIP. But like... Right. Uh, Probably rights. <laughs> yeah. So... Super Mario RPG is the story of Mario has just rescued Peach again from Bowser. And yep. they bring her back. Because it's it's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. It was a yeah. Tuesday. Or he's about to rescue her, but as he's about to untie her after he's defeated Bowser in the prologue of the game, a giant sword falls from the sky and splits Bowser's keep right down the middle and launches Peach, Bowser, and Mario to three different parts of, of the Mushroom Kingdom in general. And Mario happens to land right in his house, but the different characters get spread across. And so Mario sets on a a quest to find the princess again, but it turns into a much larger narrative where the sword that has split the sky was sent by a evil dude named Smithy who is trying to destroy wishes for everyone because like it destroyed the giant wishing star that everyone makes their wishes off of. Now, why is this game so fucking good? The turn-based RPG elements are, like, done to death, of course. They made one small change that made all the difference, and that is called timed hits. When you're playing the game, you can power up any of your individual hits by pressing the button at the correct time to time them. And because of this rhythm action element to the battles, which they then replicated later on, it makes you that much more engaged in the battles. You're not just, like, tapping your menu buttons over and over again. Yeah. I remember this is like one of the few RPGs that I was able to like tolerate for like 10 hours because it actually involved me in the fight process, like in a direct way, which I is kind of the disconnect of turn-based combat is what turns me off. Yeah. And being re-engaged into it by actually having to like time the button press kept me in the loop for about 10 hours. I don't think I beat the game in those 10 hours, but I definitely played for a longer chunk of time than almost any other RPG except for Final Fantasy 7, which I got about halfway through mm-hmm. and then was just like, this is not yeah. for me and I'm struggling through this just so I can talk to my brother about yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm done. Yeah. So Super Mario RPG is another one of those games like Link's Awakening that is like immensely charming and also yeah. features cameos from characters. Like you can see uh, Link sleeping in a bed in one of the inns. You can see yeah. Samus makes an appearance as well in the game. Which is just like the weirdest thing ever. Like tying those two franchises together is very strange. It is very strange. At least outside of Smash Bros, obviously. Yeah. So. And one of the things that they made such a good choice with that they've carried on throughout the series is that everyone else in the world speaks except for Mario. But Mario is like this slapsticky physical comic through the entire game. And like there are moments in the game that still legitimately make me laugh. Like Mario's reactions to things in general are fucking hilarious. So 
which is something they brought along with the character going into like even the 3D mm-hmm. games because like he doesn't speak generally speaking, but like when weird shit happens, you always get Mario like being like, "Oh man, again!" Like I got to deal with this shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. The facial expressions they put on Mario are always this like kind of like, "Oh man," yeah, like thing. But it came from this game. Yeah. Like the origination of Mario having that personality came from Super Mario RPG. So like it is a game that actually had a big influence on the way Nintendo handles the Mario character. Definitely which is kind of makes it a very important game in history, even if it is one of those, like, it's not available. Any- is it even available on virtual games? It was, yeah. I have it on my Wii. It was? Yeah. Okay. So okay. one of the weird things about it, though, is that, like, you can get those reactions from Mario in 3D pretty easily. They managed to convey so much personality from Mario in that 2D mm-hmm. isometric view. Yeah. And managed to build this story while still hearkening to, like, the platforming aspect of Mario. Because there are still platforming parts in this game yeah. in that isometric weirdness that it is but it's so well done and then they decide to let you play as bowser in your party and team up mario and bowser to save peach and then peach is like fuck this i want to fight too and then you get to play as peach bowser and mario in the same party in the game it's so satisfying and then the weapon collection the way that the different weapons react when you do the timed hits you get to have mario's most powerful weapon is a giant koopa shell from a fat koopa that you can soccer kick at your enemies and if you timed hit it properly it's super strong peach gets like a slap glove a parasol and a frying pan is her most powerful weapon like there's just little touches like that like the game was made with so much love and it's so just satisfying to this is a pretty simple rpg it's not as complex as almost any of the final fantasy games like it's like it's a it's kind of a dumbed down baby's first rpg yeah yeah but it's baby's first rpg done so well that people wish they had this level of world building and engagement with the characters and storyline like other games have tried and failed like even nintendo themselves once they broke off from squaresoft and squaresoft became playstation only they started releasing the paper mario games and the mario and luigi games for the game boy advance and ds and 3 3DS. And they're in the spirit of Mario RPG, but they've never quite matched the yeah. love and the just that magic essence of Super Mario RPG that that game has. So, yep. yeah, if you guys have not played it, like, and you don't have access to a virtual console, emulate the fuck out of this game. Just play it. it it's a classic for a reason. Um, it's a regular on Summer Games Done Quick or on Games Done Quick. All of those, like, speedrunning charity events, yeah. you will yeah. inevitably see a Super Mario RPG speedrun on it. So, like, go play it. It's amazing. It still holds up. The art style is delightful as well. Like, there's the the way that the, the sprites look just still looks good to me. Just go play. Go. Do it. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So should we go through some honorable mentions? Should we do like five or ten honorable mentions or something like that? I've got like a half dozen here. Okay. So like, let's, yeah, let's, let's go through honorable mentions and get out okay. of here. Well, then go ahead. Give us your honorable mentions in no particular order. In no particular order. I did kind of discuss Mario Odyssey, Galaxy, and Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island are all games that like, if you're a Mario fan, you should have tried because they're all cream of the crop Mario games. I have a massive soft spot. I'm and like going almost chronologically Tetris. Mm-hmm. I still play Tetris like three times a week. Like I still sit down for like an hour and just sit there and play Tetris to kind of clear my mind or whatever, because I love Tetris. Other games, the one that I wanted to talk to you about, I'll bring up last, the Metal Gear franchise, but specifically Metal Gear Solid 
the original PlayStation game, Summit of Your Solid 1 now, I guess, in continuity. I'd never played a video game like that when that game came out, and it broke my... I was, well, I was at 97, so I was like 16 or whatever, and I was like, man, video games can do this kind of shit? Oh, fuck, we're in for a ride now that Sony's in... Like, I, it felt like Sony's kind of like, this is what video games can be. Like, that's what they were, and now we're in this, like, adult world. You know what I mean? Like, we can do this other kind of thing. And it was like, shit, man. This is what video games could be? That's amazing. So MGS1 is one of those games. Then also there's a bunch of PlayStation franchises, really. Grand Theft Auto, which is not really a PlayStation franchise, but in my head is a PlayStation franchise, because that's where kind of I got its start in GTA 3, right? But like something like 5, which I've spent hours in, because it's just a fun sandbox to go in, put a painkiller cheat code in, and just kill cops for an hour. And just like, yep. Mm-hmm. That was a worthwhile hour. This city is decimated by me and a rocket launcher and a rail gun, but I feel a lot better with my life now. I'm going to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's GTA. You know what I mean? It's just a fun place to live. Yep. And then Street Fighter, which is a game we talk about all the time. I had to pick one. So I'm going to say Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Granted, when Paul and I play against each other, we tend to kind of lean into Super Turbo. So we have all the characters at speed yeah. or into the Alpha series kind of thing, which I've been playing a lot more of. So I'm, I got some practice on Alpha 3 when you come Oh, home. yeah, because Alpha 3 is on my honorable yeah. mentions list, too. Yeah. Uh, We're going to fight when you get home. Right. So I'm excited. I've been loving the shit out of Alpha 3 the last little while since I got that anniversary so collection. fucking good game. Uh, it, it's just raised in my esteem of Street Fighter games. So, like, it's almost surpassed, like, Street Fighter 2, like, the my favorite Street Fighter 2 as, my, like, a better fighter. Like, I still love 3 because I have, like, that tournament experience and, like, the tech of 3 is so in-depth and so, like, necessary to the game that i love it but it's man like a bluetooth lag can fuck up my parrying timing and it just drives me crazy so i can't say three so yeah that one and then my last honorable mention was the one i wanted to talk to you about specifically is have you played the playstation 4 god of war have i played it yet no i have not yet played it actually okay when we were talking about the adventure game and like what you like about adventure games you need to play the new like God of War 4, I guess, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. The PlayStation 4 God of mm-hmm. War, you have to play God of War at some point. It is it's a beautifully written game. Mm-hmm. It is a beautifully like it's basically the most graphically impressive game on the PlayStation. It may be the most graphically impressive game I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Like it's just so it's art directed perfectly and then it is built like rendered and like however you want to call the graphics engine works. Like it's just an exquisite looking game and it's just so satisfying to get into once you figure out the mechanics and you can't play it like old Kratos, like you got to figure out how new Kratos fights. And once you get into that groove, it's just like, Oh man, this is super deep and super entertaining. And just like such a well-made experience that it should probably be in my top five, but just, I mean, those top five games are just like, <laughs> Jesus, I, don't yeah. know, I couldn't take any of them out at this point. Yeah. yeah God of war was one of my favorite video game experiences of this generation actually is my favorite video game experience of this generation if you disclude breath of the wild because yeah. i don't know how to include fucking switch in the generational talk of like yeah. going from super nes to playstation 1 to playstation 2 playstation 3 playstation 4 like nintendo is now completely out of that conversation yeah. so i don't know where the switch sits but for this generation yeah breath of the wild and god of war are just the two shining stars of like, this is what fucking video games can be in 2016, 17, 18, 19, going into 20, like into the 2020s. Like this is what they should be. Incredible artistic masterpieces of games. So those are my honorable oh, mentions. Very nice. What about you? So 
uh, I've got a lot. So we're going to go through this pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay, so Street Fighter in general, but I wrote down Alpha 3 and Super 2 Turbo as well as my... Yeah. Uh, well, obviously. I mean, those are the games we play, exactly. right? So, yeah. Uh, again, the Marvel versus Capcom franchise, but number two specifically that we played a lot together. Yeah. Chrono Cross... Like the Chrono series, okay. everyone loves Chrono Trigger, and I love Chrono Trigger too. Don't get me wrong. Like I didn't have access to that game when I was growing up, or like it just never like landed on my radar. That was one of those weird like it was a hard game to find on Super Nintendo, I believe. It was Super Nintendo, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was expensive yeah. also, right? Like it was super expensive too, so it was hard to find rare and then super expensive. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, it was a tricky one we couldn't get for you. I think at yeah. that time, I remember us looking for it for you yeah. too. So. But I had Final Fantasy three slash six to play as well as which uh-huh. is another of my honorable mentions, which yeah along with super mario rpg dominated my role-playing game experience with pokemon while i was growing up anyway let's keep going the castlevania ds and 3ds games definitely kirby superstar ultra one of the best side-scrolling platforming action games on the super nintendo re-released for the 3ds it's so many games in one and all of them are good go play it like the kirby franchise has had its ups and downs but i think this remains the 2d pinnacle of the franchise and deserves so much love this game in particular the 3ds remake is so much fun to play so go play it um what else we have final fantasy 14 which is an mmorpg and has a lot more investment but it's still an amazing game i also said super metroid goldeneye and yeah like might not hold up still over time but it's still one of the most fun games we've ever played together like we spent so much time on that game in particular interesting thing perfect dark is on xbox one backwards compat mm-hmm. so you can play all those games on xbox one x mm-hmm. like with proper 3d controls like two stick controls we'll have to give that a shot when you get home too we're gonna have some fun yeah living in that house for a while yeah, together, for sure. i think because there's a lot of games to yeah. play and shit so uh, i wrote down mario kart 8 mega man x and mega man 2 as well Mm, yeah, the Mega Man games are definitely like they should have been on my honorable mentions game. But Mega Man is your like we both like it, but it's such a yeah, you thing that sure. I was I left Mega yeah. Man to you. Yeah. Um, Shadows of the Colossus, Eternal Darkness, some of the mm-hmm. one shot kind of games that like kind of stand on their yeah. own, and the Resident Evil franchise when it's good. When it's bad, it's fucking sucks. Yeah. When it's good, it's amazing. So like the after the Resident Evil Two remake that I've been playing. Ha, huh, it's good. It's really good. So, yeah, that's it for our top fives and our honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to our final stingless segment, our geek cred, where we recommend something geeky, either that we've been enjoying recently or that we enjoyed in the past and we'd like you to take a look at. So, Mark, what is your geek cred this week? I mean, how can it not be Fear Inoculum? How can it not be a new tool record? It's on every streaming service you could possibly for it to be on. Go listen to some Tool, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's not your thing, don't. But if you're even remotely curious or you listen to me ramble about this crap all the time, and you're like, man, I should at least know what he's fucking talking about if I'm going to listen to this podcast. Go spin Fear Inoculum. It's worth your time. If you're already a Tool fan, I'm sure you've listened to it. And if you're not, or you're like, you're one of those like, I don't know. Is there a ca- such a thing as a casual Tool fan? Like, is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Right, exactly. <laughs> They're not known for their <laughs> casual fans. Let's just say no, that. No, not really at all. But like, this is an album that I think special enough because of the 13-year wait and it being a Tool record that I'm almost trying to... I want to get the guys to dedicate a whole episode to reviewing it, like side A, side B style, but just like all three of us just tackle Fear Inoculum because I just want to do it because I'm just into it at this point. Uh, otherwise, if you're not into that, go listen to the Lana Del Rey album because that was fucking great too. Like I, I'm really enjoying that. It's just not... 
able to take up as much of my mind space as uh, an album that I've been waiting for 13 years for. Yeah. So, yeah. And my geek cred this week is, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the uh, the podcast before, but do you like Studio Ghibli movies? I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. Spirited Away, La Puta, Castle in the Sky. We weren't allowed to talk about them for the longest time because, uh, is it Totoro? Totoro? Just made Christy wretch. Like, just she wanted to vomit as soon as we mentioned Totoro. Like, she would start crying and stuff. So we would talk about Studio Ghibli movies, and then she'd start freaking out, and we'd be like, well, I guess we can't really you know, talk about Studio Ghibli movies because Christy's going to throw up. Well, Christy, you can skip to the end of the podcast because I'm going to talk about, well, not Studio Ghibli stuff because like obviously Studio Ghibli is amazing and like they have a storied career for a reason. However, did you know that Howl's Moving Castle is an adaptation? It's an adaptation of a fantasy book by one Diane Wynne-Jones and it's a really good novel. Mm -hmm. A 320 page young adult fantasy novel. And it's a fucking fast read. So just yeah. read it because it's good. It's really good. So you should like read Howl's Moving Castle yeah. while you're listening to Fear Inoculum and just get really fucking tripped yeah. out because that story is fucking weird. And yeah. And album's fucking weird. And it's time to get into some weird shit, yeah. kids. It has that it, weird shit time. Howl's Moving Castle has that kind of British like reaction to fantasy and like modern reaction to fantasy and sci-fi where in the vein of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where it's like, oh, well, this is happening to me now kind of thing. Like Sophie Hatter, the main character of the story is just, like, there's just so much shit that happens to her that she just kind of like, oh, well, I guess I'm an old woman now. So uh, that's cool. I'm going to go strike out and try to win my fortune. And it's just kind of like, yeah, okay, but it's so good. It's just so (laughs) well done. So yeah, go read Howl's Moving Castle. It's really fun. It's a really good book. And it's a super fast read. It it honestly took me like an afternoon, basically. So like, go do it. Yeah, somebody recommended it to me while we were at Brock. And I did read it while I was there. Um, I should read it again. It's been a long time. And there's a lot of shit in between me and that time period of my life. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to revisit it. So maybe I'll do that this week. While I am grooving on Tool Records. So not going to let go of that one anytime soon, I don't think. Probably going to be talking about this Tool record for a while. Yeah. Sorry. I apologize in advance. Yeah, it's gonna be a just, just gonna be a part of our lives for a while, <laughs> up until at least album of the year lists come out. I, I mean, at this point for me, like I haven't heard anything that's gonna top it for me. Like I've, I've listened to enough new music this year that I have an idea of what else is gonna be on the list. But like for me personally, yeah, a nine point five out of ten Tool record came out this year. That's the best album I heard this year. Yeah. Sorry, everybody else. Now, now, there's still three months left in or four. Come on, four. Who else is going to put something out that's like, <laughs> uh, I'm sure other stuff's going to come out that's interesting, but like that's as fascinating to me personally yeah, as like a, new tour yeah, after fair. a decade. Yeah, probably not. Sorry. For me, this week is the start of the Joanna Newsom tour, the String Keys incident. And yeah. I'm like, will there be new material? It's just her and her mm. harp. Because this is what she does, is that she'll do like, oh, I'm just going to do a few things. And then she'll fucking drop a new song on us after five or six years. And you're just like, ah! And this is going to be start happening when I'm in Australia. So I'll be able to be distracted by other things. Thank fucking goodness. Fair. But like, oh, man. I know. I know they announced a tour too. Like Tool's doing a giant North yeah. American tour. And I'm like, I got, I, well, I mean, I, I, there's two shows. They're doing two shows in Toronto, which blew my mind. So I'm like, I'm, I got to be at least one of them. Yeah. Because, god damn, I, I, it's been a while since Tool came around. I think the last time I saw them was 2016. Uh, they came around, and that was when the, the new album talk was getting real. Like, what the fuck, you're touring again? Like, this is the fifth fucking tour you've done without any new material? Like, can we get your shit together? We didn't know what the 
the legal problems behind Fear Not yeah. yet, like what was holding it up. But we were just like, stop touring, go record. Like, come on. There's a rumor going around there's a perfect circle record that's going to happen before you guys do a tool album. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, cool. That's great. And all Hell's Moving Castle is awesome. That book, I remember reading it, it was quite yeah. good. And I'm, yeah, that this tool album. Yeah. Yeah, it's a monster. Yeah, it's a monster. So, Let's get out of here. I want to get high and listen all right. to it again. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for listening to our list. If you have some comments on our list or some disagreements with our list, by all means, engage us on Facebook in our fan space area that is facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast, where we are generally most active. You can also hit us up on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast or email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. You can get this on any pod catching app that you tend to use. We are on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Stitcher and Spotify. So please rate our podcast. If you like our podcast, you should give us a rating, give us five stars because we're really awesome. Like we're really, we really deserve it. We're so deserving of five stars. We're working very hard on this podcast. Yes. We are, we're here there. every week delivering what you want. So you guys, please just... Well, <laughs> we are delivering something at the very least. You know what I mean? We're, we are weekly delivering a something. Steaming, I don't know if it's what you want. A steaming helping of us is what we are delivering every yeah. week. So if you enjoy our podcast, please give us ratings and then maybe... Yeah, so just do that. Anyway, I am Paul. And I have been joined by my big brother, Mark. Say goodnight, Mark. Good night, everybody. And I hope you all have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next time. Play some games. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, turn your PlayStation on and go play some crap and listen to some Tool guys. Cause... Dust off your Game Boy and play some Link's Awakening or uh, load up that emulator. Do what you got to do. Go do it. Yeah, get in there. Yeah. Go play some games. Listen to some records. Uh, it's geek time. Yeah. Have fun. It's a long weekend. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. By the time I get this out, it won't be the long weekend anymore. But, you know, whatever. All right. Either way. We're out of here. Bye. Take it easy, guys.